Welcome to the Anything Goes Podcast, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast in Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back to do another movie review, but we're not doing a Halloween movie. I know it's been kind of my normal uh, shows, been coming from this show specifically. It's just been my friend Mike and I talking about all the Halloween movies, but I realize I have a commitment to do other stuff other than that, and I know I've been preoccupied with the other podcast, Please Rewind, the RF4RM Retro Show. And I'm like, all right, I'm neglecting this show, too. So it's just a balancing act between that and all the other things I try and do creatively and try to have a normal life. But here we are today, and we're talking about something very specific. We're talking about Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, The Ultimate Cut. One of the longest titles of any comic book movie, because I, I realized that it's like, I wonder how many letters in the alphabet that's not being used in that title. But I can't do it alone, and when I'm talking about the DC universe or dceu i always have a consistent guest that is lisa from the i love that movie podcast welcome back lisa hey good to be here excited to uh to dive in yeah uh, i know it's something we've been talking about for a while and it's just taking us this long to get around to it no worries i'm excited I'm, I'm i'm always ready to come back and talk thanks for thanks for having me back no problem and i will admit uh, it's when you cover Wonder Woman on your show, and I'm like, crap, we have a commitment to deal with. And I'm like, oh, man, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. And I know it because my head's been up my own ass for the past couple of months, so I apologize. Oh, no worries. I really relate to being feeling a little stretched thin uh, between the podcast and uh, my hobbies and just other stuff going on. It's It's been hard to to get to everyone. And, you know, of course I want to have you back on my show as well. And it's just, we haven't connected yet. So I was really glad when you reached out. So no worries. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But like I said, we'll talk about Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the ultimate cut. So let's jump into our review of it right now. So, this movie came about because of the success of Man of Steel financially. I know it had some mixed critical uh, reviews from it. It still does. I mean, if it's still being talked about today, I guess it has some validity. That's something I, I thought about when it came to Rob Zombie's Halloween recently, that people are still talking about it 11 years later. So, I guess there's got to be some merits there. And so Warner Brothers felt the same way and decided to go forward and decide to bring Batman and Superman together for the first time. It is not the first time that this idea has been kicking around. Back in 2001, Wolfgang Peterson uh, was working with a uh, script by Akiva Goldsman to bring uh, Batman and Superman together. You even see like a fake poster of it in I Am Legend in the background when uh, Manhattan is all decaying. But... I'll ask you, what was your first experience when this was announced and then when you first saw the movie? Hmm. So when it was announced, I'm not sure if I was dedicated enough when it was announced to be following the news that closely, to be honest. Um, 
because I feel like I kind of came on board around the time that this was released when it comes to the movies. Um, and I started following the news when it was closer to coming out, but I don't think that I was following the news close enough to see when it was announced and to, to have a whole lot of thoughts one way or another about whether or not it should come out or if they're going the right direction. I kind of just came in when it was already about to come out. Um, but and then the second question was, how did I feel when I first saw it? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I saw it uh, opening weekend. I think I was dressed like Batgirl, <laughs> and one of my friends was dressed like Nightwing, and uh, I I really liked it. I actually walked out of there. I mean, I, I had to process some of it because it was a lot, and I had to go home and think about it, but I ended up seeing it, I think, two more times, so so I enjoyed it. Very nice. And I remember, I still, every now and then, I still do this. I'll go to that phone footage of somebody upload on YouTube of the logo being released. Where it had this, like, the Man of Steel Superman logo and then the Batman logo come behind it. And the whole theater, I mean, the whole Hall H loses their mind like they're at a concert. And, <laughs> and, then, and then I think in the back of my mind, oh, look, when we were all happy and all on the same page. Yeah. And I sigh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't follow it closely. I mean, obviously, I remember um, I remember the Twitter update when Ben Affleck was cast as Batman. And I turned to my friend Mike, like, because yeah, I was over at his house, like, yo, Ben Affleck is Batman. Both of us to kind of nod, like, nice. We could see that. And then we just moved on with our conversation. And so I wasn't following up to the day of the day. And I knew that, like... Jesse Eisenberg was going to be Lex Luthor. And so that, that, that picture of him being bald released. So I'm like, okay, I'm excited. And so I saw it opening day that, that Friday. And so I came home from work. And it was, it was my girlfriend at the time and I were going to go see it. Because we always went to the movies together. Especially comic book movies and with their new releases. And I saw the early critical reviews before I saw the movie. Mm. And I'm like, huh. And I already like saw that video that that people made. It's become a parody now of like, of like people. It was the Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck uh, interview where Ben, oh, Affleck, yeah. and ben <laughs> Affleck just becomes very um, like sullen, and then has the the sound of silence playing underneath. And yeah. I've always thought like, what was he thinking in that moment? Like, what was that? <laughs> what was that memory he was thinking? Of? And I think I realized where what moment he's dawning back on, and I'll get into it later on. And so. I'm going into the movie theater, and I'm like, all right. Uh, well, hmm. I was hesitant to say the least. I went, we saw it, and like, there's a few like a few nods in the movie that people in the theater didn't react, but I did because I'm like uber DC fan. I'm looking around like, nobody's going to recognize this. No, no. All right, fine. That, that's, that references for people like me. <laughs> and it's kind of a thing when if I'm – I usually – like if I'm doing like a date, like a dinner and a movie, I always do the movie first. Never do dinner first uh, because you have nothing. To, like at least you have something to talk about and engage in conversation with afterwards. That's why I sure. would say you always do the movie first. Then you go, you go sit down and you have, all right, you have something to kick off the conversation with. And if it's something that's kind of mixed w with me, I'm quiet. Like I, like I'll be silent all the way leaving the theater until we like the waiter or waitress asks like what do i want for drink like i'm like that's like the first time i'll say something and my girlfriend's looking at me like is everything okay and i'm like yeah yeah i'm fine i'm just 
processing and then just put the menu back up to my face and just trying to like process everything that's going that that happened in that movie and so i did i'm like okay i need to see that again and i did i ended up seeing it again this time by myself and i went to an imax screaming of it uh and i made sure it was like it was like an early afternoon so i sat right in the dead center of the theater so i had all the speakers hitting me at all the right points i'm like okay and with Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL score, it's a perfect place to see a movie in IMAX because of how bombastic that score is. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, and I enjoy it, and I still enjoy it. I, I, I believe on this rewatch for this review, I, was, I came away a little differently, and I'll get into that as we get into the movie itself. And so we start out the movie with <clears throat> the birth of Batman with a funeral because I think that's the way... Some people have interpreted the fact that Batman was born the minute or minute after his parents died. That's one interpretation sure. of it. And then we have the big title sequence of him becoming Batman. And then the Black Zero event from Batman's point of view. I'll ask you your feelings on this opening. Like the the art, like the, the death of the Waynes and then the recap of Man of Steel from Bruce's perspective. Sure. Um, I think what makes it hard for me to be objective about this movie might be how much I love the opening. <laughs> um, I, I've heard people say that they're sort of tired of seeing the Waynes die and that we've covered that enough. We don't need to recap that. Um, I disagree on a couple of reasons. Number one, kind of like you said, that's when Batman is born. I think it's a moment that he never gets over. He never gets past. And it's part of like what is traumatizing and makes him Batman. So I'm fully okay with revisiting it. And I think that that only adds to the intensity of the character. But in this movie specifically, you absolutely need this scene because of what happens later in the movie. I just don't think you can do it without that. Um, I think, and I don't know if it's skipping too much ahead, I think that maybe you could have had this scene later in the movie, but you definitely have to have it. Um, And I just love the way it looks. I think it's a beautiful, I think it's beautifully shot. It's such a traumatic, violent scene, but seeing that, you know, seeing the theater seeing the Waynes walking. Uh, I think in this movie, it's it's cold, right? It's like in the snow. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. guess because that's one of the things with with Batman's origin. It's been kind of retconned to sat, look to be yeah. around Christmas when his parents were mm-hmm. murdered. Which I love just because that's dark. <laughs> and so I, I just, everything about the aesthetic of it, um, the visual with the gun and the pearls and... I don't know. I just I really like it. Even even when he's falling in in like the hole and you know all the bats and all that stuff. I, I was fine with all that. I really liked it. And then I think I like the you called it what what did you call it dark zero year? Uh, it was it's like the black zero event. Black I think zero. I think that's okay, what they call the event, event that happens there. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not great with the terminology on that, but basically the the 9/11 nod in this movie I thought was really powerful. I thought it was moving. I thought it was visually captivating, and I I felt like it put what was happening in that movie in sort of I, I don't know. It had me in a different headspace than when I see other movies where there's a big catastrophic catastrophic sorry event, you know, where it looks like, I don't know, Godzilla attacking or something, you know, it's always exciting. And there's just a level of disconnect, I think, where I'm kind of like, well, I see destruction, but I don't, 
I mean, I, I just know the heroes are coming, so I'm good. But with this movie, doing it from uh, Bruce's perspective and just the way that it was shot and the way it looked, it made me feel like there was more gravity to the situation. And it was really dark. And I don't know, just making me think about that time because when 9-11 happened, I was uh, 17, I think. So old enough to have been impacted by it, you know, old enough for it to be in my consciousness. And so, I don't know, I really, really liked that. I Uh, guess that's, yeah, go ahead. No, I I understand. And it's as a New York resident, I am uh, a few, a couple years younger than you, but I was still affected by it. And because I had so many people around me who had family in the city, mm-hmm. uh, one person in my class specifically who lost her father on that day. And it's I, horrible. Yeah. And it's, and it's the really terrible thing is that like, it's her birthday is on that day too. So that's like the really like, just like a double whammy right there. Ugh. But like, apparently she's doing what she's uh, a proud mothers and like doing very happy for herself and so on. yeah and but it's like seeing that from that perspective and the fact that it's so funny because i know a lot of people criticize ben affleck's portrayal of batman or like how the story's use of batman throughout this movie because he is a like secondary villain in this movie that's mm-hmm. I, I think it's an arguable at this point and but the fact that the building's collapsing, and it has all the, the dust of concrete flying towards him, and he still runs into it. That's a Batman yeah. moment to me. It is, and it's like, in a lot of the Batman movies, we don't get to see, like, Bruce Wayne a lot. Like, sometimes we don't see Bruce Wayne enough, I think. And so, I don't know, we get a lot of him in this movie, um, just in terms of thinking of Bruce Wayne and Batman almost like two different people. And I think... This part really, I don't know, I thought it was really touching and it it showed a really good side of him and just an ownership because it's kind of like you almost forget that he's he's the boss of Wayne Enterprises, you know. And so seeing him run back in and and also when he was talking to his colleague on the phone and, you know, his colleague praying and that sort of, again, just being reminding you of like a 9-11 call. I don't know. It just I, I found it to be really, really moving, and then him grabbing that girl. And again, of course, you know, we just saw the scene where he lost his parents, so you're thinking about that. And I don't know. I just I felt pretty connected with that character in that moment, and I, I was excited right away. I felt that it opened really strong. I agree. And the fact that, like, that we have his, like, if in certain screenwriter terminology, there's his save the cat moment where, a character does something mm-hmm. kind of selfless in order to get the audience's um, affection on their side. And that's a moment like where like little girl's going to be crushed and Batman runs in and grabs her out of the way and saves her and also helps uh, Wallace uh, out from underneath debris. It, mm-hmm. It's the movie sets you up and think, okay, Batman's going to be the good guy. And then we see it from his point of view of uh, Superman fighting Zod in midair and crashing through buildings and then that music cue comes in. You're like, okay, I'm on Batman's side. He should murder Superman. And you're like, like you're the movie intentionally. I wouldn't say dupes you, but like manipulates you to thinking that Batman's in the right. And then spends the rest of the movie saying no, that Batman is a monster in this. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if I see him as a monster. We can we can get into that, but. 
I definitely felt that, you know, showing Batman hugging a child and saving a, a coworker, it's a really powerful visual. And I don't think that we see Batman hugging a lot of people. So it's it's like, wow, you know, he, he's he's really uh, connecting and he's sensitive. And and yeah, it really puts you on his side for sure. And the music. Yeah, it's a nice touch when he's looking up at the sky and you're like, man, you know, something's coming. Like there's going to be a, a serious conflict here. Totally. And uh, my two cents on the the Wayne man, uh, the Wayne's uh, murders is that it's so stylized. And the fact that it's shot in IMAX and it's super slow motion, uh, a cinematic technique that was kind of, I think, sadly lacking in Man's Deal. I think that could have been used uh, effectively there. But I agree. Yeah. I mean, just to, that. just to accentuate how fast Superman is. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. It, it almost felt like he was being more restrained in the film, maybe a little bit influenced by Nolan's directive style or something. Yeah, I think they wanted to make it as real as possible. That's why it's like predominantly handheld camera work and such. Mm-hmm. And but here, like, yeah, he gets to be very stylistic, and it's like this and Batman '89 had my favorite live action renditions of the murder of the Waynes. Totally, because I think the fact because they're so. Sur- like 89 is very surreal but like how the oh, sound yeah. design is and then like how when the goon goes to grab martha's uh pearls and you hear those echo throughout the the uh surround sound then jack napier's gunshots echo throughout the alleyway but here and how how everything's so impactful you hear like the dropping of sparks in the background and we have two uh walking dead cast members as uh Martha and Thomas Wayne, and I love mm-hmm. and so much like so much of this movie is predicated on the Dark Knight Returns, specifically in this moment where, in the Dark Knight Returns, Thomas Wayne takes a sw- swing at Joe Chill and dies, and mm. and the same thing here, and, and the fact that also Martha's pearls get tangled up in the gunman's hand in the comic, and that's how she dies. And here it's like it's even more brutal that the fact that the string of pearls lands between the the hammer and the the uh, slide itself, and then it's the pulling the trigger that's what cuts the pearls. I mean, is it is it very cinematic? And it's like it's the only way it can happen. Moves, of course, but it makes it unique. You know, that that's a hook, and that scene, like, oh wow, I've never seen that before, and it's an image that sticks in your head. Yeah, and I think you know it can be highly stylized because it's a memory. I mean. Especially a traumatic event. I I don't know that we really remember something like that, how it happened necessarily. And especially, you know, the age the character is in the movie, he's remembering something from childhood. Um, And so I think when it's a memory or a dream, you totally have permission to make it like as surreal as you want. And, And like you said, it really makes the image stick in your head for the rest of the film. Exactly, because if you think of memories when you were a child, whether good or bad, like you say, like, I went to this amusement park when I was a kid, you go back to it as an adult, and, like, the, I guess the aura or the magic is kind of gone. Yeah. And then the same thing could be done in the reverse, where something bad happened, but you, your magic kind of fills in the gaps, uh, almost like Mr. DNA in Jurassic Park, but, uh, <laughs> but in a more... Mo- Dino in- DNA. <laughs> I, I, I saw it on a t-shirt once and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I need to get that. But obviously this memory is like, 
it's it's like okay, it seemed to be more traumatic because it's something that's haunted Bruce. And the fact that like I know it's like one of the few moments in this movie that I'm like, I can see where people may like lose it, it might lose a few people, and then like when young Bruce runs into the woods, falls into the cave, and he starts he gets lifted up by the bats, and I'm like, and then when the, I was like, and the, before the voiceover comes back in saying it was a dream, I'm like, oh. This may be not everybody's cup of tea. And then when it says, and in the dream, they brought me to the light. I'm like, oh, okay. Whew. I'm like, all right, fine. I, I see where you're going there. Yeah, I will say another complaint I had about the movie or another observation. There's a lot of dreams, <laughs> a lot of premonitions, and a lot of memories and it's not always clear which is which. And I know that's intentional, but I think maybe there's too many of them for the audience, especially a general audience, to differentiate them. Like, so much happens in this movie, I forgot that he even says it's a dream. And I think other people do, too. They're just like, that part was silly. And it's like, well, it's a dream. Well, what about that other part? Well, that was a memory. You know, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I do think the movie suffers a little bit from that. And it's clear to me, but it wasn't clear to me like the first time what was a memory, what was a dream. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I can see that because especially in a certain action sequence happens in a dream, but then we kind of made it out to be like it's a premonition. And it's like the fact that it happens back to back. Like, wait, yeah. Is that true or not? <laughs> and, 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 which we'll get into. But it's like it's one of those like, all right, what is it movie? I understand, like, there's leaving things up to audience's imagination, and then there's times it seems like you're just being intentionally vague for the sake of it. Yeah, it's like, hey, this isn't Blade Runner. There's no, you know, question at the end of, is he a robot or not? So it's like, it, it, I just think maybe the audience needs a little bit more help. But I've heard people say about Zack Snyder, I had a coworker one time that said, Zack Snyder shows you things, and then he wants you to to like figure it out and make the decision. And I think for the most part, that's what I like about his directive style direction style. But in this sense, I think maybe it, it ended up being a little confusing for some people. I could see where your coworkers coming from. And the fact that like, it's like, Oh, you like, and especially since the, his, uh, post on social media for the past couple, the past year, I should say, if like, Posting intentionally <laughs> vague things and people are like what like it, it becomes uh, a, a, a nightmare before Christmas. What's this? What's this? Dun, 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 dun. And everybody's doing in their own <laughs> a post, a post. What is it all about? Da, 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 da. And I could see people just and like conjuring up theories about what this really means. And it definitely mm -hmm. seems like he intentionally does that. So I think your coworker is probably right on that. Yeah. And so after that, um, we have the Africa incident where Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen uh, are interviewing or doing an interview of a African uh, person who's perceived a gentleman who's perceived to be a terrorist, but he does not consider himself that. And while that's happened, KG Beast that we don't know is KG Beast yet, that is a Lex Luthor underling is there. Causes a uh, finds out that Jimmy Olsen's a CIA agent, puts a bullet in his head, and after that, a firefight comes out, and Superman has to save Lois from being uh, killed by her drone. 
your feelings on this sequence and then the fallout when we see the government hearings start to begin against Superman. Wow, so many thoughts. First of all, this is another scene where there is a lot of information. And there's so much information that I think I just learned something last night rewatching it, um, or two nights ago. Uh, so here's a couple things that were not clear to me on earlier viewings, but are clear to me now. Number one, uh, when, you know, first of all, KG Beast had no idea who that, that that's who that was at all. <laughs> I think probably watched that more than once, not realizing that. Um, also with Jimmy Olsen, uh, when he's outed as a CIA agent, I assumed that he wasn't, I was like, that's silly. That's not true. He just, and then he gets killed and I'm like, Oh, that stinks. He died for no reason. Like I didn't realize that that was true. Um, partly because in the ex ultimate cut, you get more of that scene, right? You get more information in that scene. Yes. Am I right on this? is One of the big differences. Yeah. Because, so because, oh, go ahead. Uh, Cause like the first half of the scene is like, we see Jimmy Olsen and there's like the omen of like blood in the sky. Something bad's going to happen. Then we see, that Jimmy Olsen is introduced to Lois and she doesn't know him, which gives credence mm. to the fact that like when he was revealed to be a CIA agent, it makes more sense because wouldn't you just ask Lois, like, have you known this guy for uh, months or even years? Like, why is this a shock to you now? <laughs> Maybe he's a good agent. No. Um, yeah. And then, and then there's an implication too. So I thought, okay, was this just a rumor about like, the whole like court of owls involvement in this scene or is that really in the movie? That's you haven't heard that one. No. Like I had heard that like that there's like a possibility of, of like the court of owls being involved in this part and Jimmy Olsen being like a talent or something crazy like that. If he was a talent, he would have gotten back up even with the yeah. bullet in his head. Well, if he was one the ones that regenerate, it's but yeah, true. yeah, <laughs> maybe they didn't waste their time on him. No, but, uh, so, so I heard, 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 heard that. Um, but yeah, I think that's just, that's just like one of those rumors that was flying around trying to explain things in the movie. Maybe learning he's a CIA agent kind of gave better clarification on that part. Um, because then when he dies, they cut to a scene of them saying, oh no, we lost him, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're going to have to bomb them now. Was that in the theatrical cut where they make that decision after he's killed? I that we see that? Because I, not... I feel we didn't. And that was another weird part of the movie where you're like, what? Okay, now they're getting bombed. Why is that happening? <laughs> I can't remember because I've, since the theater, I've yet, I've have not gone back to watch the theatrical cut. I probably should have. <laughs> I know I, that is bad preparation on my part as a podcaster. Oh, no, I didn't either. <laughs> but it's kind of like you don't, like, it's like Blade Runner, the final cut. Like, I don't go back and watch the previous versions of it, even as a morbid curiosity. Like, I know I should watch the theatrical cut to hear the voiceover from Harrison Ford but I don't do that so uh, yeah. I probably should have so but I think you might be right I don't remember seeing that the uh, the other um, soldiers on horseback racing towards the village I, yeah I does... don't remember that part yeah and I don't remember that confirmation that he was a CIA agent maybe that was why when I saw it in the theaters I assumed that that just wasn't true but yeah and what about uh, the? Uh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was saying that the fact that like then in the general says like ignorance is not the same as innocence, and then Superman saves her from the drone, 
after, and also at the same time, KGB has set fire to so many people in the village, making it look that that uh, Superman just heat visioned the entire place. Oh, I didn't catch it. That's what. He, that's why he was doing that. I did think when he showed up, I was like, mm, "You just saved her." Feel like you could have saved more people. <laughs> I did have that thought this time on the rewatch. I was like, "That doesn't look good." No, it know? it makes him look a little bad. Yeah, it's like you came all the way out to this like war torn area of the world, just saved Lois. And, like, there were a lot of people there. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, is that something Superman would do? I don't know. It was it was definitely an interesting choice. Like, I get why it has to happen for a later scene. But I could also, like, sometimes I try to watch it with understanding, you know, the criticisms that other people have about it. And that scene specifically, I, I could imagine some people feeling like Superman would really just waltz in, save her, and, like, leave everybody else there. That seems weird, you know. He's really fast. He could have gotten there sooner. <laughs> yeah, and he th- and it gives credence to the fact people are like, that's not my Superman. Superman wouldn't do that. He'd save everybody, not just one person. And all the hoopla would be around that. Yeah. And so I, I know like people say, like, oh, the, the warlord apparently lived through that um, tackle through the wall, but we never see him, so... <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Did he live through that? Hmm. I think, like, I think Zach said that on one of his posts, saying that he'd lived. I'm like, well, he's we fine. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke I've made previously about Captain America: Civil War when um, Steve goes to Bucky and to get him to come in. That's when the German SWAT team kicks in the door and to arrest them. And Bucky says, "I'm not going to kill anybody," but then he. Sp- Beats up the uh, SWAT team, including breaking a cinder block across the dude's chest. And I'm like, that dude's wearing armor, but I'm like, he's got a collapsed sternum. He might be dead. <laughs> and then he took he took the battering ramp to that one man's knee. He's not walking for the rest of his life. I hope you're happy, Bucky. He may live, but that man is need a prosthetic limb for the rest of his life. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like it's it's like if you want, it's to a fine pops, line. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like if we just saw like. Another shot of like him getting up, and it's kind of like that. Does him like the dude is like exhaling, <gasps> like I like he just had the wind knock out of him. Sure, that'd be fine. It, but it's just like one of those things that like it was decision made that made this movie a little bit tougher for a t- as one of the tough pills for audiences to have to swallow throughout. Sure. Yeah. No, I I can see that. I I can see that. I hadn't thought of that. But I admit I'm not as sensitive to the heroes breaking the rules um, the way other people some, or some people are, I guess you could say. Uh, maybe that's because I didn't grow up reading them, you know, the same way that I read them now. But but I can see that, you know, I can see it from their perspective. Well, we all know you don't follow any laws. You just drive crazy all around and everything like that. So you don't care for rules whatsoever. We all know exactly. This. <laughs> I'm a rebel. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can see that. I mean, there's so many people who are so entrenched in their own because of their own visions of these characters. And it's like, mm-hmm. it is so particular. And if it's not that, they're automatically disappointed. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of other comic book podcasts I listen to who are men and women who are in their 
30s or 40s and they're just like they're not fans of the these iterations of dc comics characters because they've read years and years worth of comic books and like oh no why can't it be more like this etc etc yeah. yeah they've got to change and evolve if they want to keep getting a new audience and that's just part of it exactly like draw, drawing batman's junk in a comic i mean that's that's how you get new audiences <laughs> There's no way I was not letting that pass by. I was gonna have to bring up sometime tonight, and that's like the most. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> I mean, like that's the least ham-fisted way I could bring that up. Now, I mean, well, there is, a, there is. A, I mean, we do see Ben Affleck shower at one point, so you know what? And I could have brought it up there, but <laughs> let's address the elephant in the room, or not? <laughs> oh, oh, just kidding. No, uh, bang, bang. yeah. <laughs> When I saw that, uh, when I saw that today, it just made me laugh so hard, and I had to immediately like. W- there was a discussion of me and some other people on Facebook. We're like, we all looked. Why? Why? Why did we look? Because it was there. Because there was a link, and I, I feel like I'm not supposed to look at that, and so I did. I oh feel yeah, like that's the only reason. And then when I saw, it, I was like, mm, okay, well, uh, I'll never get that time back, but. <laughs> It's just funny, and it's just the way that stuff like that derails everyone online is just hilarious. I mean, it's just like like I, I it's the, the fact that like when I tweeted it, like like this is a really slow news day. If this is really mm-hmm. is is trending right now, I'm sure someone out there's outraged though. <laughs> Somebody's losing their someone's writing a letter, you know. So it's the internet. <laughs> if it's not somebody's not outraged, you're not doing it right. 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 I mean, like this, like there's not like so many other more important things going on in the world right now. This is really this is the highlight of your day. Okay, it it was not the highlight of my day. I have to say. <laughs> oh, I know that. I'm just I'm just addressing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. Oh, pff, oh, I just got that now. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a joke. L- uh, little joke. Uh, anyway, so. After the Africa incident, uh, we're introduced to Senator Finch, played by Holly Hunter, who is leading a crusade on the fact that, like, Superman is very close to a vigilante. He's outside our laws. And should he be held responsible for the collateral damage that he causes? And the fact that after that, we're also introduced to, uh, we see, we've also introduced to the fully formed Batman later on at nighttime. And so I'll say your feelings on Holly Hunter's character and her and Senator Finch's plot in this movie, and then the introduction to Batman. So yeah, so um, when we see her, do we see that kind of newsreel also at this point in the movie? Um, like uh, with the clips of like um, different newscasters and their thoughts and her thoughts too, or is that a little later? That's a little later. That's okay. Uh, that is after, um, I swear. I always remember movies out of order. Sorry. <laughs> it's I think after... just cause I think of her, I think of like that news scene, but, um, it's after the okay. benefit. Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, anyways, so back to Senator, uh, Finch is her name. Yes. Okay, okay. So Holly Hunter in this movie, did you feel like she kind of reminded you of like Deborah Snyder? I don't know. Maybe just because I was watching all the interviews. I'm like, I feel like he like put his wife in this movie a little bit. As in My just, little tinfoil hat on, but. 
as in the fact that like she like just she kind of looks like you? her okay. yeah she kind of looked like her i don't know i just felt like that a little bit again this is a crazy theory crazy fan theory uh but i i loved her character i actually thought i was kind of on her side a lot um you know i think this is a question that comes up you see this paralleled a lot obviously in civil war in the marvel movie this question about you know should heroes do things completely on their own is that morally right you know um or should they answer to someone else should they answer to the rest of the world and I thought that she – I mean they could have had that character be like 100% straight, everything's black and white, follow the rules. But she definitely – it seemed like she wanted to believe that Superman was kind and that he had his heart in the right place. And she was willing to hear him out. She wanted to hear what he had to say. And uh, I th- also thought that the uh, the woman giving her testimony on what happened, that was like very compelling – and uh, and heartbreaking, um, and her her hard hitting questions for Superman about you know who he saves and who he doesn't. Uh, I, I also think that she got more screen time in the Ultimate Cut too, right? I think you you get more sound clips from her definitely. I don't know if they're all at this part, but you, you hear more from her too. I believe so. I think that's another one of the things that was added in. I mean, like there's just. There are certain scenes completely lifted out, but there's a lot of just added things put back in when it comes to mm-hmm. the ultimate cut, which makes the a more cohesive narrative. Yeah, and I think that maybe a reason why the studios didn't like this, but the reason that I do is, um, you know, they're making an obvious correlation with when you know, let's say the U.S. takes an action in another country and it has unintended consequences. And just because your intentions were good doesn't mean that what happened there didn't happen and didn't affect other people unintentionally. And you should have to answer for that and you should have to listen to them. And I think that they did a good job with having her do that. It like almost makes you uncomfortable when you see that because you're like, oh, this is like kind of too close to home, or at least that's how I felt. But and I could see some people being like, I hate that. That makes me uncomfortable. But I kind of liked it because I'm like, you know, if, if superheroes were real, these are the questions we would ask. And maybe these are the questions we should ask ourselves. I mean, you probably have noticed from talking to me online, I'm not afraid to talk about that kind of stuff. So I, I liked including in the movie. I like putting stuff like that on our radar. And maybe I'm taking this to mean to be a little too deep. But I don't know. I felt like that was there. I felt like having what happened to Lois be where it was and having the, um, you know, some, an innocent person speaking after, I felt like all that was pretty intentional and very personal. Like they could have just shown, they could have just had like, I don't know, a news blurb of like, Oh, you know, a hundred people died, but it's different when you have somebody that was there talk about what happened to them, you know? And, for the senator to have to hear that and for everyone to have to hear that, I thought, I don't know, it really makes the, the conflict a little bit more relatable and intense, I think. I agree because it's the fact that, like, setting this in the supposedly real world where metahumans exist, the idea of having somebody capable of Superman, would these questions would come up. And I guess 
the fact that I, I responded a little bit more positively to this is because I saw this early in 2016. And since then, I like maybe it's just like I've wanted a little more escapism for my movies. I'm like, oh, the world is dark <laughs> I enough. I don't blame as, you. <laughs> yeah. And so the world is dark enough as this. Like maybe this is just a little too much right now. Just like it's like it's dark <laughs> outside my house. It's dark inside my house. Like I can't go anywhere. <laughs> but you're right because – the fact that it is playing with the rules of like things like this could happen. It's a logical extension of what the story could be about. And so to ask the questions because there was one video essay I saw about this movie that the whole movie is built upon. Like the biggest theme of this movie is perception and being set in your perception could be lead to your downfall. Like both Batman and Superman perceive each other to be, an enemy and have to eliminate them. If it comes to that, uh, Luther definitely thinks the same way. And it's funny. Um, and even wonder woman thinks like that, like mankind is not worth saving. And it's obvious that like Clark has an arc, Bruce has an arc and Diana has an arc throughout this movie. The only two people who seem to be okay with their sense of, uh, of self and being able to see the whole picture are Lois and Senator Finch. Mm, that's a pretty good point. Yeah. No, I, I and and I can't emphasize enough that I really like the Senator Finch character. In fact, I was like, well, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I, I wish we could see more of her. I, I really, really liked her. Um, I thought she was, you know, cautiously optimistic in and uh, she represented, like you said, another another point of view that you don't see a lot um, in the movie. Yeah, and the fact that I think what happens later on is to, and the is to really pull your heartstrings as an audience member, and the fact that she's not going on this like how Joseph McCarthy would go about this, it like a me ban on Superman outright. No, she wants to do this in a, I want to say, the most judicious way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wants to hear all sides and then to make a decision rather than just look at the cold facts without getting more context for them. Exactly. And then we finally see Batman in his in his element of beating down criminals. Your feelings on Batman's introduction and this raid on this house in Gotham. Well, it's awesome when that flashlight goes up and he's on the wall and just like the way that he moves – I love that. I, I like adding that mystery back into that character where it's like he's almost like a creature. Like, it's so scary. And the way that the cop goes, I saw him. Oh, my God, I saw him. You know, that that whole, you know, I, I guess giving us the context of how he's almost like he's real. You know, he's he's actually real. I just saw him. I think that's really cool. And I like that. Um, and then, of course, we're going to talk about the really controversial part. <laughs> where he branded someone. Um, I think that it's, I actually am okay with it. I know that sounds crazy, but I think the only problem is because we didn't get a movie about Batman before this, we don't have context for where his headspace is at, at that moment. And I think I could see him going there. I could see him getting there. I feel like every time um, there's a series about Batman, at least the ones that I've read, there's a tendency to bring him to a really dark place. It's like the longer he stays Batman, 
the more jaded he's going to get, the more angry he's going to get, and he's going to get to this point. And I think as long as you take the audience on that journey, that's okay. But I could see why the audience in this moment not having that context, especially if you only watch the movies, you definitely haven't necessarily seen that. Um, I could see why that's so upsetting. Uh, that's that's crossing a line. You know, usually he's just catching him for the cops and letting them enact justice. I mean, he may kick him in the teeth or whatever, but he doesn't brand them. I mean, that 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 does seem extreme. So I, I feel like there a lot of the audience was probably like, oh, Batman's so hard now. He's 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 so gritty. I get it. You know, whereas some of us that may have read the comics are like, well, let's see where this goes. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, it's what it has one of my favorite images in the entire movie where it's just the close up of the bat battering in the wall. Mm-hmm. And the, the light, the, the, it's backlit by the cop's flashlight and it's a shot anamorphic widescreen. It's got the big lens flare in the background. And, like, that's one of my favorite images from the movie. And it's, it's a moment, like, I. <sighs> When the cop sees Batman in the corner, in like the top corner of the room, and he scurries away. Now, you've seen the Jim Carrey's Grinch, right? <laughs> yeah. You remember when he we first meet Cindy Lou Who? He's hiding in the corner of the room of the post office. He's hiding in there away from her, and he jumps down after he they scare each other. For some reason, that's where my mind first went to. Is like, is the Grinch <laughs> hiding in the corner? And I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna scare Sidney Luhu and just as like a bat, and he's gonna give her nightmares. I have no idea why my ADD mind jumped to that. And so I was, I was chuckling at the moment when he's the cop is unloading his shotgun in, in the general direction of Batman, missing him the entire time. <laughs> and I know it's not the, it is not the attention that the filmmakers want, but it was just how I was in the moment the first time I saw it. And so every time I do see that that scene, I'm like, that. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but I do. And you're right. I know it's another thing that Andy and Holy Badcast brought up when it comes to context for Superman because. We go from the fact that like Superman is revealed to the world at the end of Man of Steel, and I guess you could say the end of Act One here is is Perry White questioning love affair with Man of Man in the Sky over question mark. Like we do not have a movie of Superman being the hero. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you think of like Tobey Maguire's Spider Man. Like we see him be a hero for a whole movie, and then. And two, we have all the kind of questions of, like, if the if they if, does a city really need Spider-Man? And the same thing here, you're right, with Batman, that we do not have a context of where he was previously before the death of Robin and before the Black Zero event. Yeah. It, it's just a little unfortunate. I mean, like, we have so many other dreams in here. You could have lost one and maybe given us a flashback. I don't know. Uh, I know, like, out of all the dreams not to include, it does seem like the Robin one would have helped. Although, I don't know. It, it may have made people go, oh, it's even more depressing, you know, so I don't know. But <laughs> I think it, oh, go ahead. On. I feel like it could have been like if we saw even just like Batman smirk a little and like it was be the effective dynamic duo. And then we just cut to him standing in front of Robin's suit and see where his headspace is. I think that would have been revealing it and we could have underlined the message like oh this is not the normal batman because this is our first introduction to ben affleck's batman and he is a 
such an extreme version of him. We think that's just the norm. We don't. It's kind of like in in screenwriting terms, like you think of a character's normal world. That's where it is at the beginning of the story, and something changes it, whether they leave the normal world or the normal world is changed by somebody or something coming in to affect it. You think of uh, Toy Story. We have we have Woody ruling the roost in the, in Andy's room, but Buzz shows up, and so the normal world has now been effectively altered irrevocably. Or we have we have Indiana Jones thinking like I've gone after after artifacts before, but nothing quite like this. Never against the Nazis in this way, or going after such a powerful religious object. So we have no context as an audience member to see the change of what Batman's been like. I think like something like that could have been helpful to make things a little clearer for audiences like the okay. And that moment later on when he reverts back to where he's supposed to be in most comic book fans eyes, they could have bought that moment a little bit better or, or more convincingly. Yeah. You know, actually they could have even used Robin's death more like having flashbacks of, of Robin being optimistic and being that little bright light on his shoulder and maybe just having more memories that were happy. And so that you could see the contrast kind of like what you were saying. Um, and, and maybe him coming to that conclusion in the end, I think that would, that think that really would have helped because it would be nice to see Batman optimistic and excited and then maybe him just wrestling with that the whole movie. Because in the movie, he's not wrestling with that. He's, like, basically given in. But I think if he was fighting it more throughout the movie, that would make his turnaround at the end make more sense. Yeah. And as well as the fact that, like, you think of Batman under the red hood. It ends with a flashback. We've gone this entire journey seeing where Jason Todd is. And then we see a context of what Jason Todd was like on his very first day out as Robin. And it's a gut punch because you know what's going to happen to that little kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like you don't even have to make it too depressing, too. You could say – like you could show the bad stuff happening to Robin. But then, you know, I don't know, like his thought of like, well, in his memory, like I'm not just going to keep branding people. I don't know, you know, <laughs> like – I feel like you could have used it in a positive way instead of like every single flashback he has is like his parents are dead. Now Robin's dead. It's like it's it's just kind of maybe a little too dark even for Batman. Yeah, I mean, you think of Batman as like I think of um a pendulum when it comes to tone. You can go one way where one corner it's Batman 66 and Batman and Robin. And on the opposite end is this. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 know, I don't mean that in a negative way, but I just feel like and fans have their Batman. They have their version of Batman. Like some people love like the Dark Knight Detective. Or you have like 70s and 80s comics in the Batman the Animated Series. Then you have the very dark and gritty version of Batman where this, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, uh... Arkham Asylum, a serious house and a serious earth. It's it's all subjective. Drink. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm stealing a joke there. It, it all depends on that, and it's feel like, like I said, it's just like knowing where we are. At least that's why I think that's why the Dark Knight is so effective as a movie is because we had a movie of setup of what this Batman is and who he is and what he stands for before we get into 
we're changing his, we're challenging his philosophy and him being irrevocably changed by the end of the movie. Well, and just in general, it's a lot lighter. Like, it's weird when you go back, you know, watching this right after I've seen, like, even The Dark Knight. I mean, The Dark Knight had more, I think, positivity in this and happiness. (laughs) And especially Batman Begins really did, you know? So it's like... I don't know. Like I, I can, I can see that. I can see that the criticism that it's a little too dark. And, and, and Dark Knight includes a, a, a scene where two uh, loved one, uh, uh, a couple, talk to each other moments before one of them gets blown up. And, yeah, but and, there's still somehow like more positivity in that. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. Is like you say, like how is that the more positive of the two? Yeah, I, I think I really had to see the Dark Knight again and then watch this to see that though. I don't think. I, I, when I saw this movie, I was like, nah, but now I'm kind of like, yeah. <laughs> but also, I feel like this movie is with with Batman's interpretation. I know we're like harping on this, but there's a lot to talk about about Batman's character here, and we'll move on with like our breakdown. But I know we could do we could be here all day. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this entire show is dedicated to uh, doing this. So the idea of Batman's conceit of not killing was such a big part of the Dark Knight. I feel like much like it seemed like Man of Steel was a response to the characterization in Superman Returns. I feel like Snyder and Terrio and Goyer's like the idea of like, okay, let's do something different with Batman here where that question, that thing that was the center of his character is no longer is we've crossed that line and we're in new territory in a live action form. Yeah, I could see that. But that's my tinfoil hat moment right there. Well, I mean, I think there's a connection. I mean, you know, with, with, uh, with Nolan and Snyder, there's obviously a big connection. So I could see that. Right. And so after that, we're introduced to Lex Luthor and his idea of asking Senator Finch to grant him this license to bring kryptonite that we discovered in the Indian Ocean into the United States to use as a deterrent against Superman. Your feelings on this introduction and Jesse Eisenberg as Luther. I've gone back and forth on this. When I first saw it, I liked him. And I feel like I let the internet kind of get to me a little bit because the response to his character was so overwhelmingly negative. Um. I think that his character is evolving in this movie. He's turning into the Lex Luthor that we know. And we're watching him get there. And I don't think we've ever watched him get there in any other adaption. And so I think people really struggle with that because of their perception of who he is. And he's clearly not at the point where he's not the Lex Luthor we know in this movie. I'm okay with that. I think that Jesse Eisenberg is a brilliant actor I think we kind of forget how good he is. Um, I remember I first saw him in The Squid and the Whale. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, I have not, but the title sounds familiar. It, it's an independent film. Um, anyway, you, you should look it up. It's pretty good. But I, rem- I remember when that movie came out, I remember my uncle saying, you know, this guy's going to be a big star. Like, watch, his, his, his career is going to take off. And it didn't take off the way that I thought it would. I thought he was going to do like darker roles. Um, I thought he was going to do more serious stuff. And then he ended up doing 
I mean, not that it's not serious, but like he was in like the social network and then like in other, a, a lot of other films, but he didn't go the direction I thought he was going to. And I think that if he had stayed on the traje- trajectory bleh, that um, I originally saw him on, I think people might've gone with this version a little more just knowing what he can do. And I guess trusting his take on it. Um, but I, I like this introduction to his character and I think it's kind of, again, they're trying to sort of ground like what kind of person would go up against Superman and why. And I feel like they did a pretty good job in this movie of setting up what kind of person would do that. Yeah. I mean, he's played a bigger villain than Lex Luthor. He's played Mark Zuckerberg, but that's besides yeah. the point. <laughs> that was low hanging fruit. I admit that. But, um, but I mean, again, I think it's, it's trying to ground that idea, right? Like who, who is the Lex Luthor that we know who would fit that bill, you know? Yeah. I know that's why people said the immediate when he's casting, like, oh, that is going to do the young tech genius and everything. And but like, I mean, I rather that than when Senator Finch comes to him, and he's like, land, land uh, Senator Finch. Like, as long as it's not like another plot about land i think we'll all be happy <laughs> but like so many other decisions in snyder's movies it swung big and the fact that he is so unhinged and the fact that like like i think you're right i think he is going through some sort of a metamorphosis in this and that we see kind of concluded in the end of justice league who knows if we'll ever see him again but um the idea that he's growing into being that Machiavellian uh, villain is mm-hmm. is fascinating, and the fact that like he's taking such a personal, and we find out it's such a personal reason why he has such a beef with Superman, I really like. Me too. And it's not the fact that like oh I was exposed to you when, like like being exposed to Kryptonite made my hair fall off. That's why I hate you. It's not one of those, <laughs> which has been an explanation for his hatred for Superman. Uh, I think that's what uh, that wasn't in the Smallville, was it? I don't remember. I watched Smallville a lot back in the day, but I, I'd be hard-pressed to remember details from the show, to be honest. I'm sorry if I got that wrong, people. Don't freak out. Um, <laughs> don't add us. Yeah. Uh, but we're putting ourselves out in the public forum, so I guess we're opening ourselves to criticism. And um, we do mention our Twitter handles, typically. So Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> by that point, we've pissed them off. They've just they've, they've, they've stopped listening by this point that happens. Um, and so... Yes, it is unique. Yes, it is like, is it like Jim Carrey's The Riddler? I don't see it. It is very energetic and like very unhinged, especially when he's giving the speech about Prometheus later on at the benefit of the library. Um, like, I just feel like it's the joke I've made when I'm so excited and I'm trying to get all the words out, I feel like I'm just st- stumbling over myself. I'm like, I know exactly how you feel right there. <laughs> and, and the moment where he's just like, He's so smart. He's so calculating that he feels like he's in a room of like uh, troglodytes all around him, and that's how he treats people. But even to the point that he even condescends Senator Finch by doing a southern accent to her at the end of that scene. Yeah, he's he's yeah yeah he's awful. <laughs> As a person from Texas, I, I I just want to know if that would bother you or not. No, because it wasn't a Texas accent. It wasn't Texan, so it's okay. Okay. All right. All right They're from Kansas, right? So, yes. Is, is she also from Kansas? Right? 
Perhaps. I, I felt like they were implying that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, well, she's, no, she's from, uh, I think oh, she's she from Tennessee. 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 Oh, yeah, because he says that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, if you're from the South, the accents are all pretty different. They all sound really different to us. In fact, it's annoying when I watch a show or a movie and there's some characters and they're supposed to be Texan, but I'm like, they sound like they're from Louisiana. <laughs> like, we can tell the difference. So, no. She, she she's from a, a different southern state, so I got no stake in that in Tennessee. Well, I, I feel like it's almost like certain accents almost like correlated to how the pronunciation of the state itself. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like how Tennessee would sound, but between like Louisiana, where there's a there is a different a huge difference there. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. I have family in uh, Maryland and South Carolina, and. We make fun of my family, uh, at least one of my cousins' uh, accent from Maryland all the time and everything, because uh, we just bust chops about that. But I can't say coffee or drawer or water, so do you know what? She, she's she got <laughs> me there in terms of pronunciation. And so um, I, I enjoy this Luther. I wish we got more of him. I hope we do get more of him going forward. But as things are coming together, we find out there is a – Something called the White Portuguese coming into Gotham that that he, that uh, Batman trying to find out what's going on. Uh, Lois and Clark are now a couple. Uh, before before even going further, I know people are saying like we're bitching about the fact like why is Amy Adams naked in a tub? Like why is that? Why is that decision made? I'm like, well, she went through. Well, a traumatic... Why does that matter? <laughs> yeah, I'm like she went through a traumatic experience. She wants to cleanse herself from that, and baths are very relaxing. And she takes baths. I don't know. Like, it's not like that. It's not like there's a lot of, like, I don't know, things seen. It's, like, romantic when he gets in the bath with her. And, yeah, I, I never had that thought in that scene. That's that's funny. Exactly. And I'm like, you're grasping at straws, people, if you're really I mean, big. that's desperate. Yeah. Yeah. And we have two good-looking people on screen right there about to make love in a bathtub like that. And you're really going to get uh, uh, get up in arms about that? Jesus. Yeah, no, no. I don't I don't see it. Um, but how do you feel like the fact that do you think uh people inside the office know that they're a couple? Um, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. Uh let me think. I feel like they do, or maybe that's just me projecting on onto them, but I, I, I got the impression that they did, I guess. I, I I would have to say the opposite because they don't really. Oh really? I because they don't show any true like public displays of affection. Not saying they have to. That's true. But it's like that one moment when they're in. It's Perry White and a few other like editors in the um, in the conference room, and uh, uh, Clark is commenting like, "Why aren't we talking about Batman's wave of terror in Gotham?" Lois comes barging in. They. Clark and Lois share a look, but don't say anything about it. Mm. And the only time they say anything is when they're within, like, just earshot of each other and nobody else is, like, talking right? or nearby to hear this conversation. I don't know why. I just feel like it's, like, I don't say it's, like, a dirty little secret, but I think it's just, like, a <laughs> office place romance they just want to keep on the DL. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense knowing uh, what we know about him. So, yeah, it makes sense they would want to keep it quiet just – everything about it <laughs> yes and so lois had like during the attack in the african village where 
a bullet had lodged herself lodged itself into her journal, and she's on the case to figure that out. At the same time, Clark is investigating. Uh, he's supposed to go over to Gotham to cover the football game the night previously, where this is a weird thing because of time in this movie, because I'm not sure how much time progresses because he sends him over to Gotham to talk to cover the football game. Then it seems like days later, Perry is still arguing about that article about like, why is there no football copy in your Dropbox? I'm like, isn't that, kind of old at this point like why are you still <laughs> on about that like that that's like old news at this point it, it's another thing it's, it's a little frustrating with this movie but hmm. he's doing, because there's another instance later on where I feel like the editing is a little weird because at the same time Clark's on his case uh Lex has is, is got Zod's body now and access to the ship. And so I'll ask you your feelings on Lois's plot of this movie, trying to figure out that Lex Luthor was involved in setting up Superman. Um. Okay, this is, this is going to put me on everyone's hate list. I am still not 100% sold on Lois. I mean, I don't know. I just think compared to Margot Kidder's interpretation... I, I have heard all the arguments. I have heard, you know, it's okay for her to be, have the personality she does and still be a strong character. And I, I guess I agree with that in theory, but there's just something about the way Amy Adams plays it and maybe just the way the character's written. I don't, I still never feel like it's compelling enough. Ugh. Everyone's going to hate me for that. I've been well. I've I hope been... everyone's enjoyed this episode. I know I've... everyone gets so mad when I oh, say that. Like I'm, I'm number jobs. one, I know. Number one, I I think that Amy Adams is an incredible actress. This is not me hating on her at uh-huh. all. I don't hate on women that are feminine, like not at all. But I don't know. There's just something electric about superman and lois in the old movie that i feel like is missing here and that is present even in the wonder woman movie with steve trevor i i don't know what it is because everyone's had the arguments with me and they have made very compelling arguments but something's missing man and i'm not the only one that feels that way um in terms of her journalistic uh investigation it's fine. I I don't I don't know. I don't give it much thought to be honest. I mean, I get why it's happening and how it moves the plot forward, but it does feel like it's just moving the plot forward to me. Ooh. <laughs> so you think? <laughs> so you feel like it should just exercise completely, kind of like how Lois is in like Superman like three and four, which is not really that big of a deal. No, the opposite. I think we could make her more important, if anything, but. In a different way. And I'm not saying I have all the magic answers, but I just I just feel like she's a a better presence in the other in the other installments. That's fair. I mean it's I mean like it's how you interpret the movie, it's how you enjoy the movie. Like that's why I know like a lot of people are saying, like, why do you like this movie? I hate it. I'm like, well, I don't watch the movie for your feelings. <laughs> I, I know it's such a dick thing to say, I know that. But I'm like, I go to see a movie for my own personal enjoyment, which I know is a, a very like narrow-minded thing to say as a filmmaker myself. I get that. Uh, but it's just like, that's completely fair. And uh, 
I can get it because I feel, and I do feel like uh, it's part of the most intriguing part of the movie for me is like this kind of weird conspiracy that Luther's behind it all. I like that, but I can totally see why people find it is really redundant to the story. Well, I just feel like when Batman's the one investigating it, I'm more interested for some reason, and I don't know why that is. Well, the problem is that Batman's got a hate boner this entire movie, so he's not being very uh, proactive in that way. That's true. But I mean, like, I guess they're all kind of too motivated by something else, maybe. But, yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it. I just feel like... With Lois, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, you know, like, I get that they're in love, and I, I mean, it's fine. They have chemistry. I just, I don't know. I just, there, there's there got to be a way to make her character just, I don't know, have me more engaged. I don't know how else to put that. That's fair. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, 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 I'm like, I can't, uh, I can't knock you for that. But at the same time, what else do we have? Uh, oh, we have the monument erected in, for Superman after his the events of Man of Steel is vandalized, and Wally, the person we saw at the beginning of the movie, is now legless, and mm-hmm. who has become kind of a, a vandal at this point, and trying to take down Superman any way he can. And then Sander Finch is invited to uh, Lex's house to discuss the import license, and She's denying it, and then we have the red capes are coming, and Lex is trying to convince her once again, and Senator Finch is not buying anything that he's selling. Yep, yeah, yeah. I like these two scenes a lot. Um, with the uh, with the statue scene, um, I th- I really like that again, uh, bringing a different perspective on Superman and his actions, and um, I re- I feel for Wally's character. He's clearly you know, at the end of his rope at this point, and he's like, "I'm I'm going to make a statement," and I think it's a pretty powerful one. Um, it's definitely bad PR for Soups. And then with uh, Finch and that confrontation with uh, with Luthor, I think this is probably one of the the most like powerful moments visually. This is uh, they're having this conversation. In the lab, right? Or is this the one in her in the office? I, it's, can't remember. Uh, I think it's uh, Luther's Den. Luther's Den. Okay, perfect. Okay, that's what the one that I want to talk about the most. Um, so I really, really like when he explains the painting. Yes. The like, yeah uh, with the with the uh, where he flipped it. Yeah, where it's like the, the, that Satan is not coming from below; he's actually coming from the sky. Yeah, imply. Yeah, yeah. I like. I think that's a really powerful powerful visual and i think that it it sends like two messages because you know he's saying the devil's coming from the sky meaning superman but then at the same time that demon kind of looks like batman right and i just feel like it's playing off of that like pick a side like is there a good or bad here and i think it ties in really well the fact that it's like a painting and he's talking about gods and angels and all that stuff when um it, when it leads into the when we see the Wonder Woman movie and there's all those like moving paintings in that movie, I felt like I don't know I felt like there was a connection calling back to this visually and I feel like Zack Snyder really he he preaches that message throughout his films this sort of parallel to to gods and uh, and a little bit to religion but I think more so to the idea of like a god. 
Like, yeah, it could be Greek gods. He uses Christianity, but it, I don't think he's trying to send, like, a specific religious message. I think he's just making that parallel as a way for us to sort of understand where these heroes fit into this universe. Right. And apparently the painting itself depicts the archangel Lucifer from heaven by um, expulsion from heaven by the archangel St. Michael told in Revelation uh, 12, 7 through 9 and also seen and also read in Milton's Paradise Lost. And it's because but like how I imagine I've always imagined that idea of him being exposed. Like he's like literally tossed out of there, but it seems like within, within the confines of this painting, it seems like he's actually just descending from the pearly gates down to, uh, the underworld. And for some reason, I just thought of like William Blake's red dragon painting for some reason, like just like how the design of, oh, yeah. of this version of Satan himself. But you could argue it does look like Batman. You could infer it's that. I mean, that's what he. That's what Snyder went to college for was art history. Mm. So it makes a lot of sense that a he's very visually driven, and the fact that like paintings and symbols like that would be prominent in his work. Yeah. Oh, and Patty Jenkins started as a painter. That makes a lot of sense too. For painting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. You know, this powerful visual stuff is. I'm like addicted to it. So I really like this. And I like that scene, and I like the stage that they're setting. Um, so, and and I love the way that Luthor is sort of trying to like flirt with uh, with the senator, and she's just like, "No, honey, no, thank you." <laughs> oh yeah, like like these like this this is his last attempt. Like he, he knows... is desperate, dude. <laughs> oh, exactly, and the fact that like he's going to do it anyway, but he just wants the public backing of this idea. If he can get the people behind him, like he's doing thus far with all of his other tactics to get the world to turn on Superman. This would be a huge get for him if she would agree to the license and his plans. Yeah. He's like, you're a senator, and she's like, I'm not that kind of senator. <laughs> like, he's like, like, I know I need things in order to stay in a position of power, but I know, don't need to do this. And I, I, I love the moment that like Holly Hunter puts him in his place in such mm. a great way. It's so satisfying as a viewer. Yeah, yeah. That's why, again, I'm just like, ugh, I want more of her. I really liked the way she played that character because she's so, I mean, she seems in charge, but not in like a domineering way. She's just very, she's just very truthful and to the point. Exactly. And so we had that kind of, I love that little music cue with the violins to cue that moment where it's like, that should really be upside down. Um, and then we we get another dream sequence. Uh, this involving Bruce visiting his parents' grave and then Man Bat bursting out of Martha Wayne's uh, tomb, and that's what jolts Batman to consciousness. We see we 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 didn't talk about it before, but we're introduced to Jeremy Irons as uh, we were introduced to Jeremy Irons as Alfred earlier on. But this is another scene, and then he goes on to the benefit after looking at the Robin costume. Your feelings on this section of the movie of the this dream sequence, the Alfred and Batman relationship, and design of like these costumes that we see um, in the Batcave. Okay. Um, so the first one was uh, the dream sequence. Um, so again, I think this is another, you know, we're going to see a dream sequence pretty quick later as well. 
Uh, and in this one, you know, I think it's definitely like a premonition. And I guess maybe it's supposed to sort of harken back to maybe that painting we just saw. Um, but it's like his he's descending, you know, into darkness and um, her coming out of that grave. It's it's almost or the, the bat monster coming out of that grave. That's almost kind of like saying, you know, you're going you're taking the wrong path and you're unleashing something dark. You're turning something that happened into something terrible, something that used to motivate you into something bad. Or at least that's how I interpret it. But. I don't know. I, I do think this is another part where the audience is probably like, huh? Well, you know, what does that mean? Um, I don't know. I think it, I think it may have been a little bit confusing for them. Yeah. If it's something that like, I know so many people were like, I don't understand what this is. I don't understand what they're getting <laughs> at. But I'm like, and it's such a knee jerk reaction. Like, well, if you read the comics, you would have understood it was actually this and da, da, da. And then you have to reconfigure yourself. Like all of us that run in the same groups here, like, yeah, we don't all read, like the general audience doesn't all read the comics. Don't understand every uh, reference and everything in here. I mean, like Alfred drops the line using, like it says, like a phantasm. And I pop that because I'm like, yo, it's like Mask of the Phantasm. Did anyone else get that? <laughs> no? All right, fine. I'll just sit here happy. Like so content. Like I'm so smart right now. Like that was like, that was the highlight of my day right there. Um, and so, yeah, it is a nice illustration to see how far Batman has come, that he's literally being haunted by what Batman could be. Yeah, like, in a way, it's awesome, because it's, like, really, it, like you said, if you have a background of reading the comics, I think it's more clear in the comics that he is always kind of wrestling with this duality in a way that you don't necessarily always see in the movies and it's dark and it's gothic and he's you know being haunted like that's like fun stuff like I like it but I I agree with you I think that um not everybody's clued in on that and so yeah they walk out of the movie and they're like what what the heck was that I don't get what that meant or why that was even in there yeah, there's another dream sequence where that happens that we'll get into a little bit later. I know we're teasing it, but <laughs> they're so exciting. That's 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 the thing. It's like I, I know that I said that they're a problem with the movie, but then I love talking about them. And I think, like you were saying earlier about being like, uh, actually, um, I, I think I get into that conversation a lot um, with some of the movies that I like that have a lot of visual moments where you do have to interpret them. But I think when the whole movie is sort of set up that way, it's not a superhero movie. It's not, it's not a movie for a general audience. You kind of can get away with that. You know, people can be like, Oh, that kind of movies for you. Crazy people that like overanalyze things to death. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, the shining is your favorite movie. So right. And there's a whole documentary that with full of people that are even worse than I am. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't stand the documentary. It is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I only made it like 10 minutes in. I was like, this is, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. I, I mean, it would be funnier if you just got them all in the same room and they're just arguing the entire time. That would be funny. Yeah, just that would be, yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> um, your feelings on this Bruce and Alfred relationship? Well, this is the cutest Alfred ever. <laughs> <laughs> he is a handsome man. Um, I, I, you know, he's a lot younger 
than we see him in the movies, but not necessarily younger than we see him in the comics sometimes. Like, I feel like sometimes, you know, we see Alfred at different moments in his life. When I first saw this movie, I was like, uh, Alfred's younger than Batman. What's going on? But he's <laughs> not. He, he, he is, like, older than him. But uh, I think it's just jarring to see him that young after seeing, like, Michael Caine, you know? No offense, Michael Caine. Um but I, I like him. What was funny to me is I had a friend that was like, man, Alfred's so emo in this movie. And I'm like, actually, he kind of is. Like, if you read the comics, like, he, he says a lot of things in this movie that he has said a lot, you know. And so it's not really out of character. But I could see coming from Michael Caine, constant doting father figure, um, and even in the uh, Tim Burton movies, the way that Alfred is there, he's kind of like just always optimistic. And this Alfred isn't. But he is, I think, more optimistic than Batman is. It's just that it's just such a jarring difference be- from what we've seen before, like from that stuff or the animated series. But when you read the comics, I mean, I don't know. I've seen him be pretty dark. And I just played the Telltale Batman game where he has like PTSD, so... You know, he's not always all sunshine and rainbows, and and that's okay. I like him both ways, and I think that their relationship here is uh, pretty good. I mean, I, I like the the dynamic between them, and the exploding peng- penguins line is hilarious. I really like that, um, and I want to see more of him, but I guess that remains to be seen. I just want you to know that the Michael Caine contingent are, are angry at you. <laughs> like, you hate on Lois Lane. You love this Alfred, so... I like Michael Caine. <laughs> I would never hate on Michael Caine. I know. I'm just busting chops. Like, I saw it up, too. Like, I have to take it there. Um, yeah. Michael Caine might be mad, but, you know, I mean, he is old. It's not his fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking I'm like, whenever Michael Caine comes to mind I just think of this it's my favorite moment from Jaws to Revenge where he's crashed his plane into the water and he's trying to get people out of there and the Jaws pops up and, he, and Michael Caine just nonchalant just says oh shit and just climbs <laughs> in one side of his plane to jump out the other so he doesn't get eaten by the shark <laughs> and, and it's a joke between my friend Dakota and I like, when something bad happens or somebody spills something one if not both of us would just go oh shit just so blase about that like that's the, that's the reaction I have um and, you need to find that clip because you could <laughs> strategically use that I feel like that is really funny which I tend to do in social media interactions anyway so I think I have to have that um <laughs> And so, I mean, Alfred's getting younger, Aunt May is getting younger, or maybe we're just getting older. I don't know. It's really <laughs> throwing knows? people off. But I love the fact that, like, it's a complicated relationship between Alfred and Batman because he knows, he said, he calls out in the first scene that, like, in, in a not so subtle way, that, like, people are, like, the rage and, and, that turns good men cruel. He's talking about Bruce going down the dark path. However, like any like family member that's dealt with a person who's taking a dark path or has become addicted to something like that, you still love them. Like like even all the decide all the bad stuff that they do, you still can't abandon them because you know or you hope the fact that they'll become a better person again. That's why I love this relationship. And the fact that Alfred is the optimist trying to pull Bruce back from the abyss and it's like even when Batman goes off on his own he goes on this to murder Superman 
as soon as like Batman repents, like Alfred doesn't go, well, I told you so. He's like, nope, I'm here to help you when this happens. And so that's why I really love it. And the fact that Jeremy Irons really crushes his Alfred. I love seeing the more tech-centric version of Alfred. That's what I really dig. And Sharp Dresser. Yeah, I mean, he, he rocks a really good vest in this. <laughs> he does. <laughs> and, like, I'm like, he, he looks like he walked out of a J. Crew ad chopping that wood right there. Totally. Very manly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I love it in the extended cut when he sees the letters and then finds out, like, what happened at the um, Capitol building later on. And it immediately cuts the uh, LexCorp and it's on fire. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I, he totally could see Batman doing that. Uh, but we see uh, we see Ben Affleck in the shower, so all uh, many people in the audience were very happy in that moment uh, to see a very in shape uh, Ben Affleck there. Uh, we see him staring at the Robin suit that's been burnt. Um, your feelings is that Jason Todd is that Dick Grayson? I know Zack Snyder said it was Dick Grayson, but it feels like a retcon. I don't know, like. I think it's Jason Todd. Totally. To me, it looked more like the Jason Todd outfit. And I'm just telling you, if you want people to turn on you, kill Dick Grayson, and they will turn on you. I mean, unless you make it, you know, to where it's kind of like in, uh, was it a rebirth where he, like, died in quotations, and then he's, you know, a spy for a while. Like, then the audience will forgive you, but you can't kill Dick Grayson. Come on. No. It's Jason Todd for me. Or have Dick say, fuck Batman, one or the other. <laughs> that one I'm okay with, strangely. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm fine. I'm just taking <laughs> pop shots of people who get shitty on the internet. <laughs> I know. I mean, and yeah, and it's like far be it for me to like take too far like what I want to happen. But it just it, – it's like – it's – why not? Why not just have that be Jason Todd? It just – it makes more sense. And uh, I, I just, just can't imagine. That's what it seems like. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like, you know, DC execs would be like, no, we can't, we can't do that because we want to use him later. We can't kill him. Um, but I mean, depending on how the second act went, I don't, never mind. I'm not going to get too much into like what could have happened, but, um, but yeah. And I will say that we see that uniform very briefly and so briefly, in fact, that when we walked out of the theater, um, we were talk. Me and my husband were talking about it, and I made the comment like, "I've I know people say that Batman's too negative, but like, you know, Robin died. Like, you know, he's in a bad place right now." And Nick said, "Robin died. How do you know?" And I'm like, "Because mm, we saw his suit. Remember?" And Nick was like, "Nope." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, it happened kind of fast. Like, there's just so much information in this movie." Uh, and I think I think maybe they showed that a little too quick. A flashback would have helped, or a dream. <laughs> I think we, I think we had enough dreams, but a flashback <laughs> may have been possible. I, I, I mean, uh, this is a three-hour movie, and we still say there was too much in here. Uh, there I just mean, was, man. <laughs> I, I think that's a that's a that is a valid indictment um, uh, on the movie there, but. Um, yeah, I agree that and like the idea of Jason Todd and the death of the family storyline, a version of it has happened. Like that's cool of me because if you want to do flashback Batman movies, like that's something you're gonna explore. There's so much potential there. And mm-hmm. the, the fact that we've seen 
Like even the Burton Schumacher movies, like that's just the first few years into his career. And then the Nolan trilogy, like that's like 18 months. If you really clocked it of, of all Batman, his entire career of him being Batman. <laughs> yeah. So the fact of like, uh, having a Batman, it's 20, a 20 year vet is fascinating. It's something to be, to be explored. Will that happen? I don't know. I'm not going to hold my breath. I've become very zen lately and not letting things get to me too much. But we get to the benefit and we see Clark and Bruce are introduced. But more importantly, we're introduced to a mysterious woman that turns out to be Wonder Woman. Um, Did you have any feelings of Gal Gadot being cast as Wonder Woman going into the movie? Not really. I, I wanted to see what she did. Um, I was open to it. I'm open to most casting choices, to be honest. Um, I was actually mentioning on my on the Wonder Woman podcast, I liked that they went with her look because I think, I don't know, I really like the idea of picking somebody that is like sort of olive-complected with dark hair and she has, you know, an accent. Um, I thought that was a good choice. I thought that was different and it, it sort of adds to the whole you know, idea that she's not from where they're from. Um, I, I hope that came across correctly. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Um, I, th- but, I got um, it. Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm not saying, you know, Oh, she's, you know, anyway, let's just keep going on. So, so I really liked her look. I, I thought that the accent added a lot to the character, like a lot of mystery to, to her. Um, it was very, the gala scene is very bond like, and she even is sort of dressed like a Bond girl. And I liked that. I thought it was really cool. And she was mysterious. And But she seemed kind of powerful. And the interactions between her and Bruce are really are really good. Um, I think they're one of the stronger parts of, of the movie. They're kind of what sold me on her. And, and yeah, I, I, I like her a lot. I like the fact that they didn't go with, I've had the complaint on some of the older hero movies that the uh, male characters are like 40 or 50 and the women are like 25. So I kind of think it's cool that they went with a woman who's a little bit older than that Um, because she's Wonder Woman, you know, she's a woman, she's a grown woman, right? So I kind of like that. Um, But yeah, I think that sums it up. I I agree wholeheartedly. I think she's incredibly alluring. And and the fact that like she has such mystery about her, coupled with the score that that really accentuates that idea of like who is this woman, like and from Bruce's perspective, like how is she able to do the things that she does, and how and she's like, and like Bruce kind of like later on when he meets her, like he still speaks to her, he's like being all Mister Bravado and the fact that like and she's being patient with him. And it is like it's like oh, and as an audience member, you're like no, Bruce, she can literally tear you in half without thinking it, <laughs> and she's just being kind to you right now. And like, I did not get swept up in the controversy because I have not really seen them in the Fast and the Furious movies, so I was just like, okay, cool. Um, I know my girlfriend and I at the time like spoke about. Uh, I forget the was it Lucy Lawless? She played Xena. Yes, I've heard this so many times. <laughs> I, I know, I know, like that—that that was bandied about between us. Like, ah, that would have been cool. Like, yeah, but like, 
we were we didn't go into the movie and see Gal on screen and immediately cross our arms like, oh, fine, impress us. No, we were totally open to it, and I think she is wonderful. I know it's, it is the easiest joke to make, but it is, she really is, and and I love her in this first scene. And then we have Clark and Bruce uh, meet for the first time, and then I love that moment where. Clark really starts to almost like cross-examine him and his feelings in Batman, and like Bruce is like, "Fine, you're gonna you're gonna come at me about this. I'm gonna shut you down. I'm gonna shut you down hard." And I love their exchange about the idea of Batman being a necessary evil for Gotham City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it is a good interaction. And the fact that is this one moment where like people are saying he's living in fear, and it's like, and like Bruce and Ben Affleck are kind of just like. His eyes are closing. He kind of his eyes are roll up to meet Clark right there in that moment. Like, I'm like, oh, it's such a really subtle moment that I've always loved from the very first viewing. And the idea is, the, the, even the line saying, "Maybe it's the Gotham City in me that made me feel we, we just don't like freaks dressed like clowns." And it's like, <laughs> oh, I know it's a, it's a it is a silly line, but I love that reaction to Clark. Like, look, my suit's not silly. <laughs> well, cool. you look like a clown, so there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should see Joaquin Phoenix's Joker just pop up and give the red nose to Clark right there. It's like, there you go. Now you're a clown. <laughs> now you're a clown in Batman's eyes. And this is when we get into that montage that you mentioned before of, like, must there be a Superman? And we see the cross-cutting of all the talking heads at this point. This is very much like Dark Knight Returns of... So People on different ends of political spectrum weighing in on Batman's um, impact on Gotham City during this time. But this time it's Superman. Your feelings in this sequence? Well, uh, I like all the questions asked by the media in this in this part. I guess I have two feelings about it. And on the one hand, I feel that it's a little bit of a commentary on how we're all um, swayed by the media in a way. Like, you know, we get all our information uh, from from the news um, and not necessarily from firsthand accounts. And it does shape our worldview. It does have uh, an influence. And I think they're showing you an example of when that could be incorrect. But then I also feel like there's a lot of scenes within the scene that are dead on. So I think I'm kind of conflicted. Um, you know, the questions about or when they talk about how we're projecting this hero onto him. Um, and maybe he's not some, he said, some Jesus or devil figure. Maybe he's just a man. Again, calling back to that painting, Jesus, devil, you know, angel, devil, um, and and making us ask that question, like, are we are we putting this in terms that are too black and white? And that's why we're not able to see what's actually going on here, which is absolutely why we're not able to see what's going on here. But um, but I, I really like that. Uh, also, that question of why didn't Superman save my child? It's like. That's another really good question. I mean, you know, how, how does Superman decide who to save, when to save? He can't be everywhere at once. It's not possible. So is it right for him to do anything? Um, and I think those are all valid concerns and questions. I feel like I feel kind of guilty because I feel like I would kind of be on their side in that way, even though they're in the wrong in the movie. Um, uh, that scene where... He's uh, saving, coming to save that family on that roof. Oh, I just how that looks. It's beautiful. I, I love that. And again, taking something really dark in our real world, you know, a natural disaster like that. I, I just felt like it's worlds apart from 
swooping and grabbing somebody before a car hits them or something. But that visual of saving somebody on a roof like that that's desperate is it's it's a real gut punch. For sure. And then the fact that like you have real people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and then you have um what was it? What one of my favorite um people when it comes to broadcasting and well before all this personal stuff came to light, like Charlie Rose, like interviewing Senator Finch, like like Charlie Rose like was the person I would strive to be as an interviewer, um, as a person profession, not his personal life that came out or anything like that. But mm-hmm. the questions that they're being asked, because yeah, like it is the ethical question. Like if he can't save everybody, why save anybody at all? Which leads to my favorite scene later on, which I'll have with it. We'll just jump to it now. Okay. Where, where we see the, um, vision of Clark's uh, dad, Pa Kent, on the mountain. I guess. Oh yeah, it's my favorite scene in the entire movie because he explains the fact that, like, yeah, we saved the farm from a flood, but we sent the water upstream, and with the Lang farm, like uh, Lana Lang, uh, I could hear their the horses scream in my nightmares for years, and it all went away when it came when I met your mother, like. It's the validating, like, you're not going to be able to save everybody. Do what you can and love who you can and everything. I, I, for some reason, like, it, that one scene redeems everything. Like, at least a lot for me, everything that Paul can did in Man of Steel for me. But yeah, it, I could see that. But that's just me, my interpretation and my feelings to that scene. I don't know. Yeah, no, and I think it, it, it creates a fair point. Like, okay, you're overthinking it. <laughs> know just do the right thing be do do good um sorry that made me think of the phrase (laughs) has anybody ever asked you uh oh i think we talked about this when we talked about man of steel uh how are you doing i'm doing well are you doing good and it's uh i'm doing well superman does good But, uh, uh, anyway, yeah, I think, I think he's, you know, overthinking it at this point. It's like, do the right thing. And we don't, I mean, we don't have to get lost in all these questions. And yeah, I I definitely see that. And I think the the movie's trying to say that, but, but man, the other part of me just does want to ask all those questions. So that's why I'm so torn. (laughs) But I think that's why this movie warrants repeated viewings. Exactly. Yep. Which like. So many other Snyder movies warrant that. I think, mean, like, yeah, maybe not 300. 300 is a perfect popcorn flick. That's for oh, yeah. sure. And I don't think it strives to be anything but that. And I can't really condemn it. But like, but like this and Watchmen for sure. Like, you want to like watch every scene over and over and over again. Uh, spoilers: I may end up falling asleep to Watchmen tonight. I think that's why I may put on put on my TV <laughs> on a timer and just go to sleep to that. Which I know some critics are going to say, like, yeah, because it's that boring of a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're real clever. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so we have Wonder Woman in the movie, and we have that scene where later on, where you, after, like, even before that, I know I'm jumping all around, but that moment where Batman, where Bruce puts the hard drive onto the servers of Lex Luthor's. Um, uh, pretty much room uh, mm-hmm. of, and like he's caught by mercy and he pretends to be drunk. And I just love how like the smooth Affleck is in that moment. Like I, I thought this was the bathroom and I just had that one drink was one too many. I like those shoes for some reason, just like that line reading. I, it's always stuck out to me and I've always really dug it. 
Yeah. No, I do too. Although, you know, he, he pretends to be drunk there, but then later we see him drinking a lot of wine. Or we know that he has. Isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah, because like even like a point that Alfred comments the fact that like there's not going to be any wine left in the cellar for future Waynes. Not that there's likely to be any because that's a lift from Dark Knight Returns again where saying that Batman's become kind of an alcoholic. Yeah. And I think that that is a good choice. Like, I kind of like that, especially because Batman is so controlled and like, you know, like in a Nolan's version of him where he throws that champagne over the side and it's like, it's like his rule. Like, I'm not going to drink. I'm just like always ready. And then for him to progress to that point is interesting and compelling. So I like it. Um, but again, I can see some general audience members being like, my Batman doesn't drink. <laughs> so I don't know. I, 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 I recognize that it could be controversial. And for that, I say, like, we have 80 years of history to curb from, okay? We're just taking this one slice of it, all right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know it's, I know it's a, such a pessimistic or I know it's a, it's a very shitty thing to say. I know that. But... Another moment where we have is when Batman or Bruce Wayne meets up with Diana Prince again at the museum and he's trying to strong arms giving him his hard drive back. And that it's just like how Bruce is and that talks. I'm like, that's Batman to me. That looks like you just ripped him from the page, just aesthetically looking. Mm -hmm. And he smirks like the Batman in the animated series. You've seen that, that side by side photo, haven't you? Oh, I don't think I have. How have I not seen that? Well, I, I, I maybe I did, and so I was like influenced by that, like it was in the back of my mind. But, uh, but I just think he looks like he literally looks like the cartoon version of him, like like in uh, the animated series, so of of Bruce. And maybe it's why Ben Affleck's my favorite live action Batman is because it's so. Maybe just on a subconscious level, I just think of the animated series, which was my favorite iteration of Batman overall. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I have such warm feelings to his version of Batman. And I know a lot of people do. I know like a lot of people like say like they slung arrows against this movie, but they will say like, but Ben Affleck, pretty solid Batman. Like even they can like will concede that fact. Yeah, you know, when you're talking earlier about the shower scene, like I've heard a lot of people say like Ugh, he's so out of shape. I'm like, what? We saw him in the shower. Like, we see him working out. I don't, huh? Like, I don't know. I, I don't get a lot of the complaints that people have had about about his portrayal. Um, I don't know if he's my favorite. I'll be 100% with you. But it's really good. And I liked it. And it's kind of sad the way that people received it. Yeah, I mean, like, rumored have that he got down to 8% body fat for this movie. Like, training two hours a day ever since he got the green light that he was Batman. And I know, like, you think of the rigorous uh, training regiments that Snyder will put his character, his actors through. Like, you think of all the people in 300. Like, those, that's like, that, those are people incredibly chiseled. I mean, like, everybody is in tremendous shape in this movie. And it, like, makes me feel like, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just half-assing at my exercises, aren't I? But then again, like, <laughs> they can afford they can afford to spend two hours a day in, in the gym if need be. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, and I can I can I can see why 
people saying like it's not their favorite Batman. I get that. But he starts to download the files from the hard drive, and that's when we get into the nightmare sequence. Nightmare with a K. And where we see this dystopian future of Earth where Superman is evil and there's parademons and Batman is mowing people down with assault rifles. Uh, and we have a, a vision we have seen from the Flash coming from the future through Speed Force. Your feelings on this part of the movie. Oh, man. It's a lot to unpack, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So the scene with him, with the with the Batmobile and all the all the craziness that's happened in that scene. Um, you know, people get all emotional about, like, oh, guns on the Batmobile. I, I, I just, I don't have the energy, Tim. I don't have the energy to get upset about that. Like, I just don't. Like, whatever... You know, they, whatever rules they set in the movie, I kind of go with it and just see where it goes and put it in the context of, like, the big picture. So that part doesn't bother me. Um, but let's see. So the second part was the dream. I think that this is the – is and, and, and when we say dream, are we talking about the post-apocalyptic yes. world? Okay, okay. And then the other dream right after that, right? Because they're, like, right next to each other. Yeah, you don't know if this is okay. just premonition and this is just a leakage mm -hmm. of, like, the vision of the future that's caused by Barry's breaking of the speed force. Right, right. I'm going to make a bold statement here. I think that they're both premonitions. I think that uh, that it's a possible future. And that, I don't know, and I like, I want to believe that. Because I think that makes that scene even darker if it's not just a dream. And the parademons are in it. So I don't see how it could be a dream. I feel like it's real. And I love it aesthetically. And I like this idea that, you know, they're so stubborn in, in terms of how, they, how they've chosen to view things that it, it gets to that point um, where Superman's going to become a complete enemy. Um, and then he, you know, he reaches for his heart. And that's kind of like injustice. My husband pointed out yesterday. I was like, yeah, it is kind of like. When Superman pulled the heart out of the Joker. Hashtag spoilers. Um, <gasps> I know. Sorry if you haven't seen that by now. Like, where where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's I, – I just really like that scene a lot. And then the second part being a more clear premonition, I think. But in that part, I have to tell you, like, first time we saw this movie, my husband was like, what was up with that part? And I was like, oh, well, I you know, it was The Flash. And he was like, it was? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, how do you know that? I mean, it was like hard to see him. I'm like, well, it was him. Like I could tell it was him. And he's like, well, how did he do that? And I'm like, at this time, my husband hadn't like, we hadn't watched The Flash. He hadn't like read any comics yet, which is crazy to think about now because of what a big fan he is of The Flash now. But um, I was like, well, you know, he time travels and like, Again, I find myself explaining a lot of things. <laughs> and I think that that is a, an issue this movie suffers with. I mean, at this point, the audience has no idea who the Flash is, no idea who, what his powers are. He is not a popular enough character to not have that stuff said in the movie already for them to know what's even happening. So I think, I don't know, I like it, but I think that the, the movie suffers for it. And if you're going to tell me that other part was a dream, ugh, I mean, that makes it even more confusing. Like, how do I tell what's a dream and what isn't? I don't know. Anyway, I'm done rambling. 
We're caught in a dream within a dream. Rose. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is going to be like, I know I'm rambly, but I'm going to be extra rambly on this episode. No, it's <laughs> so fine. Just bear I, with me. I just wish I had a soundboard so I could just play the Inception blonde sound. And yeah. I mean, it is because I feel like that's, that's what that moment is. It's a dream within a dream or it's a premonition within a premonition. I feel like, yeah, it is a premonition in the future. We have the Omega symbol, which is dark side symbol. And I know the rumor has it that the original ideas for Justice League, that part, like that there was hints out there that the end of the first Justice League was Earth was destroyed with the help of Superman with Darkseid. Superman helping Darkseid because Lois would have died in the process of the end of the first Justice League movie. I mean, that would make sense, right? Because, I mean, in a way, this whole thing is, you know, paralleling what Marvel's doing right now. Right. Marvel, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that... Yeah, the I could definitely have, see that. And then part two, you would have gone to Apocalypse to battle Darkseid, stop him, and then that Flash would go back in time and prevent it, and it would be an alternate timeline that far. Uh, you are killing me right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But, you know, it's just like... Uh, <laughs> what could have uh, been? I know. What could have been... I know, but like we shouldn't. I know we should. I know this is gonna get <laughs> so me. many moments of silence. <laughs> this is gonna get me hate. This is me opening the door because I know so many people and so many friends of ours are are staunch believers and like released the Snyder cut and everything like that. And but I'm I'm not like that person. Like I'm the kind of person like all right, let it go. I'm getting I, there, man. I, I think that I'm at that place at, at this point in time. I know. And I know that people are just so, like, like so many friends of ours on Twitter and everything, they're just, like, so desperately grasping onto that. Like, they want to keep that. They want to keep that hope alive. And that's a beautiful thing. But then there's a point, like, all right, even you have to tap out. Like, this is not the Warren Commission, okay? This is not who shot Kennedy. This, <laughs> this, is, this is a movie that like, was supposed to be just entertaining and it's become kind of an unhealthy obsession for some and would it have been cool yes and like maybe one day we'll see it in a comic form or animated form oh that'd be great yeah i'll be i'll be all for that but i'm not gonna let that ruin it like ruin this for me or even like this how his idea is kind of like like you mentioned before there's so much setup in this movie because i know a lot of people say like well the, the people say the DCU doesn't have to be the, like the MCU. Well, if you want to set up a Marvel, a, a, wow, I almost said Marvel Cinematic Universe. Wow, Ooh, that was a, <laughs> that was a Freudian slip there. Uh, <laughs> if you want to set up a cinematic universe, you have to have set up movies, and like this is supposed to be the second iteration of that. Like Incredible Hope didn't have to set this set this much tables. Like how the, the had the MCU laid out. Like you had years of that. And, like this is like. I know this is such a common criticism, like that DC is playing such catch up to Marvel, like how everybody who's tried to launch a cinematic universe in the wake of the MCU has been more or less unsuccessful, with the exception of like Wonder Woman, like trying, like. <sighs> okay, this is a question <laughs> I had before I go further. Before this is a question I had earlier on in the week that I wanted to ask you. If okay. Wonder Woman was not successful, would DC have rebooted the franchise? 
I think that if they did, they would have waited. I think that if it wasn't for Wonder Woman, I don't know that they would have proceeded with everything else that they're doing right now. I think they would take some time off to recoup. Yeah. They've got other properties that people really love. Um, they may pour, they may have poured more creative thought into say the wizarding world or something, you know, but I think that if it, if it hadn't done well at all, I don't know that they would necessarily go, Oh, we got to reboot it right now. They might say, let's just focus on something else, you know? Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't be like Doctor Who with a big red button where we're just like, oh, like the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who where we're really going to reboot the timeline, everything for since the time war and like nothing like that extreme. Or it could have been, it could have been, but it's something that I'm like, all right, if you're like the only thing that's saving grace from this cinematic universe is Wonder Woman. I'm happy for that. I'm so happy that we get to continue these stories because I want to see Shazam. I want to see Aquaman. I want to see continuing adventures of Wonder Woman. I want to see what Matt Reeves does. But it's like how this nightmare sequence is set up and how it sets so much table for what potentially could have happened, what potentially could have happened, like a dystopian future where we see Batman's gone full Mad Max at this point. And he's he's got this kind of cadre of people who are, Gunning down people, uh, gunning down enemies, and everything. Like Batman's got like a G thirty six with the Joker um, card taped to it, and everything like that. Batman in trench coat, awesome looking. Like I want a statue of that version of Batman. And the fact that we have this big long take of him trying to defeat everybody and the the parademons. Like in the movie theater, I went like, oh my god. I just saw a live-action version of a parademon. I could not be more excited at that point as a comic book fan. And so, seeing and this truly evil version of Superman and how this is kind of a potential future coming from this sequence, I will admit, it excited me. And I'm like, I want to see where it's going to go. Is that likely now? No. But... It is a, it is, it's, this sequence is kind of bittersweet for me. Like, it's like, what could yeah, have been? Yeah, it really is. But I'm not going to say, it's not denying the enjoyment of how this is a very entertaining piece of the movie. No, I totally agree. I mean, it is what it is. Um, and, and like you, I'm ready to move forward. And I think, um, you know, I think people get a little too over-focused of like, Oh no, what about where's the rest of this whole DCU going to go next? Like let's just take it one movie at a time. Is how I feel. Um I don't need all of them to constantly feed into one big overarching story. I don't really feel like I need that. So it would have been really cool and I would have loved that. It's sad. It kind of bums me out, but I mean just just, just let's just enjoy what we got, you know. So yeah, I'm in agree I'm in agreement with you. I will quote the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. <laughs> that's the truth. And so that's how I think I'll put the button on that. And so next two big sequences, or this one scene and one action sequence next, where Batman comes clean to Alfred of what the white Portuguese is. And it's like, it's a rock that could kill Kryptonians. And it's the 1% speech. How he justifies mm-hmm. himself. I really love this moment and this really beat from the kind of clarifies everything what Batman's doing in this movie. It's really good, but it's like very like Trump. 
<laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I was watching it and I'm like, mm, this is like, really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, he's like, build a wall. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's extreme. But, I mean, I think they want you to see it. You know, I think Zack Snyder wanted us to see it that way. Um, and and so I'm okay with it. And it, it's just funny because he, he makes that argument to uh, Alfred. And Alfred looks unconvinced by it. <laughs> I mean, he says he's like, he's not your enemy. And then he says that. And he's like, well, I'm not going to say anything else because you're not listening to me. But that doesn't mean I agree with you. Make DC great again. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing from now on. I mean, the fact that, like, uh, Batman is, like, a guy like that red um, background behind him and everything like that. Just, like, the like, symbol of, like, not like not for, like, the Make America Great Again thing. It's, like, more like the idea of, like, like, so, like, consumed with red, like, hatred and, like, passion for what he wants to do. And it's horrifying. But, like, they're, like... But that – I can buy Batman being like that because you've seen stories where, like, that Batman has contingency plans against every member of the Justice League to how to take him down. I can see this Batman doing that. Yeah. Yeah. As, but it's just, like, hindsight being twenty twenty now. Like, ooh, that's just big. You reconfigure that in a new prism. Like, oh, that's a very strange way of looking at things now. It's kind <laughs> of uncomfortable. A little bit. Yeah, and so, and then we see him retrieve the kryptonite when we see the Batmobile, and we see, this is a moment where, in the movie theater, where he's going at the Luther's men, and we see, we have another call out to Dark Down Returns with him with the sniper rifle, but instead of shooting um, rope between two buildings, he's shooting a tracker, um, which, I don't think you really need the sniper rifle, you could have used a smaller weapon, but I think it's just for the iconography of it, I get it, but... At one point, one of the cars that are defending themselves against Batman's pursuit, where it opens up, it's got the huge minigun and unloads numerous rounds into the Batmobile. And that's when Batman re- uh, returns fire and blows up their SUV. <laughs> that's the point in the theater. I'm like, oh, now I understand why people have some mixed feelings on this movie. That yeah. was like a really, like, I almost had like an out of body experience. Like, I'm literally sitting there, arms on the armrest. Like, I remember that moment. Like, Oh, okay. I can see why people have problems with this version of Batman. What are your feelings in this sequence? And then when he sees Superman saying, the bat is dead, consider yourself lucky. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think it's a really interesting sequence. But yeah, I, I definitely see the criticism that it's a little too violent. Um. And I see things from Superman's perspective at this point, too. Like, I'm kind of, again, I'm, like, always torn between their two points of view. Um, but I kind of like that part <laughs> when he says that, too. Oh, yeah, like because, like, it makes Superman, like, a badass that moment. Because, like, and then, like, how Batman um, kind of... Re- re- who has like retort saying like tell me do you bleed you will i mean but like this is one of my favorite parts of the movie in terms of the score like i know i've talked about a little bit hans zimmer junkie xl score here but specifically this track like do you bleed there's one point where since junkie xl has come from a like a techno and kind of electronic background before he Mm -hmm. got into composing movies there's one point where like a, like the big drums stop and you hear like this like 
few put like keyboard notes. Like, bum, 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 I'm like, oh, more of that because I'm a huge synthwave fan. So I'm like, oh, no, more of that. I mean, like, sure, you can have the drums, but, like, more synths. Like, I, you should have synths everything. Like, there's a joke I've made. Like, if I had, I had a million dollars, I'm like, oh, I build speakers the size of mountains and bless synthwave around the entire <laughs> land to hear that. And so that's why I really dig. And I, I enjoyed this design of the Batmobile. It's like a mixture yeah. of, like, of the 89 and the Tumblr together. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I really liked how it looked. And I, and I know, like, of course, it's got the big machine guns and it's got, like, the flares to throw off, like, RPGs, like, flying at it. And it's, like, it's a it's a cool sequence. I mean, if he had, like, if he was going to get a faster vehicle, maybe it'd be a little more exciting. But the fact mm-hmm. he's going after an 18-wheeler, like, he should just be able to, like, run up on it, like, all right, pull over. Just stop. <laughs> he, like, it's I- me, Batman. Pull over. Exactly. Like, well, well, I guess we really can't do anything. Like, that's, like, the only, like, downside to this chase sequence. Mm-hmm. But I-, I think it's really cool. Like, maybe it's just, like, me, like, enjoying things that like, explode on screen. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> like oh, I'm- I have to apologize for the fact that I enjoy destruction movies. <laughs> no, you don't. Okay, because I thought we just had gotten to that point that, like, I had to try and justify my escapism uh, <laughs> fantasies and movies. Nah. Um, but, yeah, so we have the speech, like, 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 consider, consider this mercy and everything like that. And so we ha- when we move on to later on in the movie where another controversial moment where Clark goes to visit his mother to kind of ha- to ask for advice. And she says... Be their idol, be their angel, or be none of that. You don't owe this world a thing. You never did. I know that that got a lot of people's rough, a lot of feathers there. Isn't it the truth, though? (laughs) It is. I don't know. It's like, I I feel like people get a little too sensitive, but try to look at it from a different perspective. Like, why does he have to do everything he does? He's not really morally obligated to. And the fact that he's not actually makes him a stronger character, I think, because then he's choosing to be. Yeah, you know, it, good. It's not like it's not obligatory in any. It shouldn't have to be obligatory in any. In any, we're just coming with so many. I guess it's a problem with characters that have such long and varied history that we're coming in here with these pre- preconceived notions and, like, oh, of course he would be the most out for out upstanding citizen and being the most like perfect person possible. But if you, if a character is completely perfect, there's no drama. There's no way he's placed to go for a character. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. And I want to see where they go. You know, I want to see their journey. So I think that's, I, I hadn't heard that people had a problem with that line, but yeah, I don't, I really don't think they should. I think maybe they're taking it a little too literally. Like, you know, she's she's saying, you know, do you do you, okay? Like, think about yourself in this moment. And it's okay for her to say that. Yeah, because she's not looking at Superman. She's looking at her son there. Right, yeah. She's seeing them as two different people. And there is a level of duality there, just like there is with Batman. And that's okay to explore, like... I don't know. It's weird that people don't ever want to see human side of them. I don't. I don't understand why that is. Well, the fact that like humans don't 
no human acts in, in a completely logical fashion all the time. We're not Vulcans. So it's just like, yeah. I mean, as much as like some people wish they could be because they're in complete control. <laughs> but no, we're all, we're all, I don't want to say, I don't want to phrase this. We're all products of our emotions. Like sometimes we like, we're in control. We got things handled. But there's times like, no, where it's like our emotions are going in several directions at once. Like, like I'm happy. Now I'm sad. Now I'm very hungry right now. And I don't know. I'm, like, I'm crying all of a sudden. Like, I don't understand what's going on here. And I, I can't explain it. Like things happen. We're, it's part of being human. I mean, sure. We like, we feel figured like Superman's an alien. He should be, Everything we should strive to be something like that, and we we should. But this is the journey of him truly becoming the Superman that we all know and love. I yeah. think that's what the idea is supposed to be, and that's what I think the idea is supposed to be like through this initial trilogy of Superman movies. I totally agree. I mean, do you think maybe there's just something scary about a being like that ever having doubts, and that's why people don't like it? Well, yeah, because then it makes it, I guess it makes it too real for people. Mm-hmm. And the idea of that, if having characters have doubt, it is just reflective on the people that you have doubt and you have questions about your own purpose in life. Yeah, which we all do. So <laughs> it's just it's just funny. Yeah, and I think as people be like, I don't go to the movies to see real life. I go in there just to escape real life. And like, which is totally fair. I, I can't. I mean, it's why people watch soap operas or why they watch, like, reality TV shows just to, like, break away from everything. Like, I have sometimes have a hard time because I'm such a um, – I'm kind of like a slave driver to my own self. Like, I need to be creating all the time. And sometimes it, I've given myself anxiety. Like, I can't relax. Like, it's only recently that I've been able to, like, all right, I'm going to turn up my phone. I'm going to put on Netflix. I'm just going to watch TV. I'm going to be like everybody else and just be normal for a little bit, not to feel the urge like, oh, I need to be doing something here. I just want to be able to escape, and that's why I'm able to do things normally. Maybe it's why another reason why I watch this movie. I'm like, oh, well, this is just a reflection of what's going on right now, which art should be. Now I feel like I'm rambling. No, no, no. I think you're, you've hit on something. I, I think it is, and my hope has always been in the rear view that we'll be able to see how this was a reflection of what was going on right now and, and, and to be able to look at it that way and appreciate it that way. Um, but, but maybe that's just hard to, uh, to see right now. Like you said, I mean, I don't know. I'm always conflicted about that, about like wanting things to be 100% escapism or not. I, I definitely defend things that are when people put them down um, because I'm, I agree, like, sometimes I just want to, like, turn my brain off and enjoy myself, and, like, that's not a crime, like, that's okay. And then there's other times I want to spend hours talking about one thing, you know? So, I want both. And I wish we could have both, but I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> well, goddammit, you gotta pick one. You gotta, you gotta either turn your brain off or pick you gotta a be side. Yeah, you gotta be, it's gotta be completely binary. Especially when it comes to the internet, there's no such thing as gray areas or variables whatsoever. Well, Tim, if you had watched this movie, um, you shouldn't just pick one side. Okay, <sighs> to try to, we need to try to come together. We need to try to find common ground. I know, and we should be doing <laughs> that more often. But I know it's just like, 
I guess it's just the fact that this has come out in a world where social media is so prominent and it's so easy to pick sides. And the, the whole movie is supposed to be like picking sides here mm-hmm. and everything. And so I think it's just like a snowball effect that there's this divided fandom to this day, which is very unfortunate. Because right? I feel like we should we are spoiled now to be able to get a story of on this of this scope being done to like traditional supposed to be for general audiences but the geeks are the ones who are really benefiting from stories like this yeah and maybe the movie just did too good of a job you know it it, it wanted you to wrestle with all these thoughts and and to see these two different sides and make compelling arguments for each side and maybe that ended up being too successful to where it's literally dividing people (laughs) um and people kind of not realizing that that was in a way intentional yeah but let's move on a little bit and so okay. <laughs> uh superman is called to confront his accuser of wally who's been now told by lex luther to be a witness against superman to be a further person to help the senators uh crusade against superman which superman agrees he goes to the capital but Lex Luthor's ahead, and he blows up the Capitol building, killing it, killing almost everybody inside. And, and Superman could not stop it. Yeah, it's it's a great piece of suspenseful filmmaking. That's a damn sure. I think so too. I I really liked this scene, and you know, it was one of those things where there's no way he could have seen it coming. And then, sen- the senator with the jar that was a nice touch. And she realizes it in that moment. I feel like her expression is just so real. Um, and then the explosion happens. And, you know, that's. I think that's where Superman's really realizing, like, this is, I can't fix this. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, uh, small tangent, there's two memes that came out of this. One of them I made. One of them, like, it was like when the first trailer dropped, when you saw him in front of the... Uh, the Senate or the Congress there to to deal with questioning. I took a screen grab of that and I said, and I put the text with it like, effective immediately, I'm going to eliminate all nuclear weapons from Earth, very much like Superman 4 Quest of Peace. Like, that's immediately what came to my mind when I saw that in the trailer. <laughs> and then here, when it's like, it's Superman standing there while the building is still intact, and the question is like, wait, did I leave the oven on? Boom, it's him surrounded by flames. Like, damn it. And I'm like, oh, it's terrible, but I cannot stop laughing. But it's so heartbreaking. But, like, he's literally surrounded by death, and he could not be affected by it physically, but it's doing an emotional, like, sucker punch to him in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then he retreats, which is probably not the best idea. No, but... At least... Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I feel like this is, like... This is where the extended cut really was affected because we see a moment of him um, rescuing somebody and bringing a survivor oh, that's out. right. And he, he brings it out to the paramedic and he, he lays the woman on the um, stretcher and the paramedic is like, okay, okay, I got it. Give me some room. And it's like, and I feel like this should have been more shots of like his point of view of him observing the crowd and how everybody's seeing him at that moment. And, yeah, I agree with that. And I think it would have made that retreat a little bit more, but you could have like, it people could have swallowed that pill a little bit easier. Mm, yeah, yeah. 
No, I agree with that. I mean, it, it definitely felt like it was missing something because he just leaves and then you're like, oh, okay. Like that makes it seem like he definitely did it or had some kind of hand in it. Yeah, it looks like he's fleeing the scene of a crime. Yeah, it looks like he got mad. He didn't like what they had to say and he blew him up. <laughs> yeah, and I know that that's the intention. That's what Luther wanted. It's like he had been keeping the letters, the checks from Wally in the first place that he used the wheelchair that he gave him as a bomb. There's lead lines. So that's why he couldn't see into it. Even though I don't know how Lex would know that he can't see through lead because that had not been previously established. Um, did he have Zod's body in that stuff yet? He did. Okay, so maybe the uh, chamber thingy went into told him. That's I don't possible. Know. It is a stretch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, speak, speaking of, okay. When we get the like the montage of him getting Zod's body, then he's granted access to visit the scout ship that's now in Metropolis. Mm-hmm. We see him enter the building where outside the scout ship. And then we're cut... Then we don't see him go inside. After the Capitol building exploded, is blown up, we see him in the same suit enter the scout ship. Oh, I didn't notice that. I noticed that this time around. Like, okay, what? And then we see him with, like, Zod's body and everything. Like, this could have been done (laughs) earlier. It's his lucky suit. He wears it when he goes in there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, there's no excuse. There is no excuse. I mean, it's a nice suit. I wouldn't want to see him get um, ruined in the ambionic chamber fluid that's that's leaking in there. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want that to get ruined. But um, so that's why I'm like, it's a very odd editing choice there for me. Yeah. No, I can see that. And so. Clark goes out to the mountains. We discussed that scene when he sees Pa Kent. Um, Batman says, all right, enough of this. Goes in, guns blazing to steal the kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. But it does have a cool moment where we see Lex watching the, the security footage. And like, like Arkham style, we see Batman rappel down from the ceiling, grab a goon, and ascend back up into the shadows. Yes. And the fact that it's in black and white, we see like his eyes reflected in the light too. Like, okay, that's a Batman moment there. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the action sequences with Batman are the best ones. Oh, for sure. Especially the one we'll get to later on in the movie. Yep. Uh, which I know everybody's probably been chomping at the bit to hear our two cents on. <laughs> and so uh, Martha's kidnapped. Uh, the woman who we said to be earlier who's testifying that... She, it was her village that was destroyed. Uh, her family is actually alive. She lied. She was on the payroll of Luther. She's eliminated. Lois is kidnapped by KGB. KGB does a lot. He gets, he gets around. He really does. Yeah. And so Luther talks to Lois saying, he's saying, explaining his plan. And then he throws her off the roof knowing that would attract Superman, which it does. Which I think it's like the second time he saved Lois in this movie. I think he saved it like three or four times in this movie. <laughs> Being Lois is a tough job. Yeah. I mean, at that point, would you like to start really like not feeling afraid of anything? Like, oh, I fall off the roof. He's got me. <laughs> and then it's like the, the ground's getting closer. Like, I hope to God he's got me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, her, her trust level's got to be pretty high at this point for her to want to continue in this relationship. Now I'm just imagining a really, like, awkward, like, 
college humor or funnier or die sketch video of like trust falls with Superman <laughs> and he'll be far too trusting with him. Yeah. It's, it's risky. <laughs> Being involved with Superman is risky. I, I, I totally see it now. Yeah. When you're family of a superhero, you're just collateral. Exactly. Uh, um, but then we get to another favorite scene of mine is Superman and Lex Luthor on the helipad. Well, Lex explains his entire philosophy why he's doing this. And I don't know. And people say, like, I don't get why is Lex doing this. Like, he says it that Superman's a personification of God, and he was not God's not there protecting his abuse from his father. Now he wants to s- destroy that to preserve his vision that the God does not exist. Or if he is, he's not completely ab- ambivalent. Yeah, I feel like he's got his own, you know, selfish trauma that he's dealing with. Um, not to say that trauma is selfish, but Luthor is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that that's a good motivator. I mean, I think it makes sense. I mean, when you really think about it, when people commit crimes or acts of violence, does it make logical sense? No, it's usually rooted in emotion somehow. It's not like people have a really good reason to cause mayhem or terror. So I think the motivation they gave him in this movie makes sense to me. Right, it's usually acts out in in a emotional or self preservation, one or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I love the moment where um, he even says, "Like nobody was able to protect me." The daddy's fist of abomination. Where later on, after we see he's made Zaz's body into Doomsday, what does he do? He saves him from being destroyed by Doomsday's fist. Hmm. Which I find to be even funnier. Like, despite everything, Superman is still willing to save Lex Luthor. Yeah. And people say Zack Snyder doesn't understand Superman, but like, no, 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 he does, and everything. It's just a weird. This is a different take on him. I know people say like, "I'll take you in without breaking you." Like Superman wouldn't say that. Like, well, Superman can be a bit of a dick. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the other characters say that too. Like in the comics, sometimes they're like, "He's kind of a jerk." Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's supposed to be the Boy Scout and everything, but he can be selfish. I mean, especially early days, Superman, uh, like first appearance, the first few appearances, like Superman can be rather selfish in that regard. I mean, I think he even puts Lois over his knee and spanks her at one point, but this is the, yeah, it's like 39, <laughs> 19. fly now. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, let's, let's, let's be honest about uh, the entire history of Superman. And so he says, I love the moment where he, He's able to bend Superman to his will by using his mother to get at him and saying, like, give me the head of the bat and Martha will go free. You have an hour. So now we have a ticking clock here. And so I say, like, I think that's a real good motivator for them to fight in the end and how Bruce has been built up this entire time and how Clark has been put into this, like, no-win situation here. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, even even the fighting part of it, I mean, Superman tries to talk to him more than once and Batman's just not having it. So even with that hour countdown, Superman's first impulse is to try to talk it out. So, I mean, I feel like they really make it to where he has no choice. Oh, yeah, he he totally tries to reconcile with him. It's all the way up until when he fires that kryptonite grenade. Mm-hmm. Because then he's like, okay, now it's getting to a point where, like, I have to I'm really going to run out of time. Yeah. 
I mean, sure, he did throw Batman through a building at one point. Um, yeah, he's in that suit. He's fine. Yeah, he rat he got rattled up a little bit. But okay, so your feelings on the Batman, like that mech suit, and then the fight between Batman and Superman there. Well, you know, the mech suit is obviously a callback to the comics, like you're the one that you've been mentioning earlier, the Dark Knight Returns, right? Is yes. it that one or yeah, okay. Um, I don't think I've read that one. I think I just read the first couple of books. But anyways, Scott um, is disappointed in you by the way. Just I saying. know, I know. I just I don't know. Anyway, I just haven't read it yet. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, so it's an obvious callback to that, and there's even that animated movie as well. And what's funny, though, is not everyone knows that. Because um, my my friend Kara, who you've probably heard on my podcast before, she was like, I hated that suit at the end. What was up with that? Is that like his new outfit now? And I was like, no. He only wears it like one time in the movie, and it's just during that fight. That's it. And she was, like, upset. She's like, I don't like Batman's new suit. <laughs> and so I'm like, I wonder how many other people thought that watching it. It's another thing I'm saying is, like, no exposition given. Like, people who are fans of the comics, they'll get it. But general audience, like, are left there scratching their head. Mm-hmm. And the, But I think it makes sense. I mean, he's got to do something to prepare. It does kind of make him working out right before he puts the suit on kind of dumb. But... Um, I guess they just wanted to show that he was putting a lot of effort in. Um, I, th- I think the fight scene is is pretty good. Like I enjoy watching those two go at it, and you know, I, I think this is the payoff, right? Because it's called BBS. Yeah, I mean, I think like the at least the workout is to yes, he's a twenty year vet, and he has to be as sharp as he can be. Sure, the suit can do so much, but I think it only gets accentuates so much of his strength. So I think that's why he wanted to be in tip-top shape as he could best be. Yeah. And, and I, I will admit, when I'm doing pull-ups, I do think of that moment where he's doing pull-ups, but he's got the uh, weights attached to his uh, hips, though. I mean, like, that's tough. I mean, like, doing pull-ups yeah. themselves are tough. But doing that, I'm like, ah, oh, I, I, I cringe at that moment. Cause, like, that's got to hurt. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Good motivator. Um, and then, of course, then we see him like, with the, the big tire he's beating up and everything but yes i think it's it is a fulfillment of the movie that we finally see them finally duke it out i know people complain like that's it. it's like six minutes long and it's three-hour movie like well it is finally coming to a head you knew once we saw doomsday in the trailer when the latest trust you knew they were coming together to fight him like that's going to be the third act well plus it's got to end that way right i mean what do you, what else do you think is going to happen there's got to be something that makes them unite I mean, that's just obvious, I think. <laughs> no, I want either one of their heads on a pike at the end of the movie. That's how I want my movie to end. <laughs> I think you would have had even more outrage if that had happened. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but like, but also, like, you would say, like, I would have left that movie like, whew, didn't see that one coming. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Definite curveball. Yeah, exactly. That's why, like, I, I even made the joke at the end of Toy Story 3, like, I even said afterwards, when I'm walking out of the theater, my sister, like, what if Pixar did it? 
And she said, what? Like, what if they really just grew a pair and they killed the Tories at the end of that movie? Like, they all smelted <laughs> at the end. They pulled a Terminator 2. And she's like, you're evil. I'm like, I know, but that would have been a curveball. Like, nobody would have saw that coming. <laughs> but that's my that's my uh, crazy way of doing thinking of things. But I've tried not to compare the two movies together, but I've, I think at this point I have to. Where, of course, this movie was came out in the same year as Captain America Civil War, where it was two heroes of that franchise coming to a head, and you compare this fight between Batman and Superman to the airport fight in that movie, I think this one's a little more clear. The camera's more stable, so it's not as much shaky cam that happens when it comes to real close hand-to-hand combat. Like, every punch and kick, you could feel every blow of in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And plus, that airport scene, I don't know. <laughs> Everyone's going to kill me now. But um, I don't know. I just, a lot of times in in, in uh, hero movies when there's a bunch of fighting, I kind of, my eyes kind of glaze over. And they didn't in this scene. So I don't know. I, I, I prefer it. And, of course, then we had that moment where, like, he's thrown um, Clark down a flight, like a to the center of the building, like the atrium, and he wraps the his bad grappling hooks uh, cable around his uh, ankle, and he's dragging him around. I love this part where it's like, I bet your parents taught you that you were here for a reason, that you're special, that you meant something. My parents taught me something too, that the world only makes sense if you're forced to. After they were dying in the gutter, also lifted from the Dark Knight Returns. And he uses the inertia of the gun wrapping him up to swing him around. He goes flying through pillars because of his his density of his body to be able to break those things apart. Lois is going in to save him because she realizes what's going to happen. And this is when the big moment that, like, if you were, this is like this hippie point. If you were on, like, this is like a lot of people, like, all right. They cash in the checks. They fold it like they can't do it. I, I can only stand so much. I can't stand some more. <laughs> the Martha moment. I'll let you take your feelings on this one first. <sighs> um, I think that people misinterpret that line. Um, but I have to acknowledge it. You know, it obviously didn't land for people, right? I mean... No matter how I feel about it personally, the, the the truth is, as a whole, the general audience didn't buy it. So what can we learn from that? Um, I was thinking about that when I watched it again. And I think maybe just having him not say that would have helped. Um I don't know if we needed to see the flashback again of his parents. I even almost think like you could have had not had the very first scene and just had this flashback or, or maybe make the flashback shorter. There's something about how long the flashback is the second time. And then the Martha moment that it doesn't land. So something there needed to be altered, but I don't think that the whole thing is like, trash you know i think just something didn't land there and i i was trying to decide last night what would be the best way to to fix that and i'm not 100 percent sure but i think i think it would have helped if he hadn't if he didn't have the martha line if she just said 
if he just kept saying, you know, I'm running out of time and da, 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 and for him to just have that aha moment without specifically calling out the obvious. I feel like the cutting to the flashback is you're not trusting the audience there. I feel yeah, like, like they're they're smart enough to make this connection. Like you haven't provided exposition throughout this entire movie. This is where you're going to underline it. Um, uh, I feel like remember I said like that moment where that interview where that Ben Affleck becomes very contemplative of what he's done. Yeah, I feel like this is the moment he's he's thinking back of like him in the half beaten up suit screaming, "Why did you say that name?" I feel like that's what's running through his head of that in that interview. <laughs> Um, I could see that, and I feel like I like I have no problem with saying like it's his mother's name. Like we don't we don't hear Martha Kent said throughout the movie. Like her name was dropped earlier, like as innocuously. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been fine, but what really sullies it on it for me is that like we cut to we cut away and then we cut back to Batman lifting Clark up to help him. So he's like I promise you, Martha's not going to die tonight. I feel like there's a beat missing i feel mm-hmm. like he should say i feel like if i was gonna redo that scene he should have like thrown the spear away he walks back over to lois and clark and they both tense up and he says clark i and then clark says i understand and like it just interrupts him at that point and where he's tried to reconcile that moment there because and this whole his entire conceit of this movie, he does not seen him as a human being. He's seen him as simply as an alien and as the enemy. And he's been incredibly xenophobic this entire time. If if you just had that one moment of him just saying, recognizing his name that he is a human, that he is he is a person to be trusted, that I think would have bought the fact. Like I promise you, Martha's not going to die tonight, and their reconciliation would have been easier to believe. Yeah, he really needed to wrestle with this more. And I think the real, the real, in air quotes, (laughs) Batman would wrestle with it more. I mean, if he's going to turn his back on what he has made his rules, we need to see him struggle with that. Instead, the whole movie, he has gone to the dark side 100%. And I think that's, that's why that, that change of heart just doesn't land for people. Yeah, I mean, like, there is like there is one of the books I've read on writing. I'm actually in the midst of halfway through. It's called Creating Character Arcs. Now, if you want to have a positive character arc change, where at one point there's at least during the midpoint of the movie, you could have a point where it's like the whole conceit of it is like the character, the main character, your character believes a lie of about themselves, and that's why they refuse to change until things start to pile up, and then they have to make a conscious choice to change, because every good character, in at least a story of a main character, is a thing the character wants, but there's a character, there's something that the character needs, and the need mm-hmm. is more important than the wants. You think of, oh, going back to Toy Story, where a Woody wants to be the A number one in Andy's life. But he needs to reconcile the fact that there's going to be other toys and he is not going to be the number one forever. And he needs to realize that Buzz is going to be there as well. And that could have happened here, that we could have had the point of, like, Bruce questioned himself throughout the movie. But no, if he's so steadfast in his beliefs, and I know 
that like Zack Snyder is working on, on an adaptation of Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead uh, soon, and Ayn Rand's like part of her like philosophy of it of of it would be like that they're so steadfast in their own beliefs and like they're uncompromising in, in their uh, ways of going about. Like that's why I, that kind of writing influenced Rorschach in the comics and definitely in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that kind of idea in this movie hurt Bruce's character in this. Yeah. No, I could definitely see that. Yeah. I don't know if I'm looking too deep into that or not. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, there's a, there's a line there. I mean, when you see Rorschach in Watchmen or read it, I mean, I'm I'm thinking Batman sometimes. You know, I mean, I I think that's kind of there. Um, before I knew who the question was, I always figured he represented Batman. If he went too far, right? Yeah. So I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I see that, and and Batman does have that character flaw of not trusting people and having a secret way of taking down the justice league just in case you know so it's not completely out of character but i don't know there's a way to write that character where he rides the line and he just he just didn't in this movie and he he should have because we i think we lost too much of the audience by not doing that right (sighs) (laughs) let's move on to something much more enjoyable the martha rescue scene when batman promises clark that he's going to go and save martha which he does and single-handedly, the best action sequence that Batman's ever been a part of. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, even before anyone said it out loud, I was thinking the Arkham games, just like I've heard said 100 times now. Um, and I'm like, why haven't they done this in a movie? Why haven't we seen this? Like, sometimes I think with Batman, you know, they go a little too big budget. Like, I'm really excited to see Matt Reeves' Batman, but I kind of, like, a part of me wants because of the negative press for them to be like okay you can do it but we're gonna give you less money and i'd almost be like yay because then i'm gonna see more of stuff like where batman is doing action you know real action where they can't just use cg and like they have to make it see make it feel real and make the timing feel real and um i mean i know there was cg in this scene so i'm not trying to say there wasn't but i just think that like that is going to force them to be a little more grounded. And as pretty as this movie is, and as much as I appreciate all of the aesthetics of it, I like how real this action sequence felt, you know? Yeah. I mean, what Richard Citrone and so many others did to make this scene and make it as bombastic and vibrant as it is and like how raw it is. And the fact that like a lot of times the cape was CGI and like how fluid that Batman can be at times, and yeah, um, what was it like? I love like there's so many parodies of replacing the audio in that scene. Like somebody did like the, uh, um, took the like uh, I'm the Batman from the Lego Batman movie and put that as the, the music bed in that scene. Like that made that scene <laughs> so much funnier. Um, and it, it is so fantastic to see the art, like you said, like the Arkham games come to life, where it's just so like. He's able to battle numerous people at once. It's like, because you see it in so many movies in real life. If you had a bunch of people and you have one enemy, you'd all just attack them at once. You wouldn't just go one by one. And right. the same thing happens here. And he's able to defend himself against multiple assailants at once. It's so, it's like, it's awe inspiring right there. And in a lot of Batman movies, I feel like there's always that thought in the back of your mind that like, 
well, maybe he should just get a gun, you know, <laughs> like because he has to go so far out of his way with his gadgets and stuff. But then in this movie, he just like embarrasses them. He makes their guns useless. He, you know, pulls them out of their hand. It's like, really, you're the one at the disadvantage because you have one. And I like that because, I mean, I want it's like I kind of want to be on his side. I want I want to believe his philosophy there. And I think that there's a way to show it so that it makes a little more sense. And I think that 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 scene really accomplished that. Definitely. Even though there is a moment that may that would make Edna from The Incredibles go no capes because somebody yeah. does grab Batman by the cape. And I'm like, my sister has not seen any of these new DC movies, but I want to show her that scene just for that moment because I know she would just lose it at that moment. Like, see, that's why you don't superior shouldn't wear capes. Yeah, but I also love the part where they try to shoot him in the head. Oh, it just ricochets off him because it's that armor plated. Yeah, I'm like, dum-dum, he obviously thought of that. But I love how that he does groan because it, he is being shot in the head point-blank range, so it would rattle him. And it yeah. does seem to piss him off even a little bit more. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even to the point where I love, like, the one who does stab him, who he really just brutalizes, like... And some people say, like, well, Batman went too far. Like, all right, enough. Like, enough. Like, en- enough. Of He's the- not a saint, okay? <laughs> He's the Dark Knight, all right? He gets mad. That's, like, part of who he is. Yeah, and I know, like, what was it? Andy and Holy Bad Kids, like, he, like, one of his few rants on that show was people who flipped out on the fact that, like, he went too far. But I love like, the fact that, like, I love the one where he throws the dude, like, the second to last guy, he throws him, like, through the wall, and the wall breaks apart. Um, and then eventually he comes bursting through the wall and it's another scene from Dark Knight Returns where he grabs the M60 out of the person's hand and says, believe me, I'll do this. And he's like, I'll believe you. And he shoots the tank of KGB's uh, flamethrower, which causes him to blow up. But he saves Martha because he has a flame retardant cape. And this is where we get the few, one of the few jokes in the movie. It's like, I'm a friend of your sons. I, I thought so. The cape. I'm like, ah, uh, 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 oh, levity. I, I forgot what that was. Yeah. <laughs> it also, well, I mean, I guess she wouldn't necessarily have to know who he is, but again, it, it, it does remind me of the issue with the movie of like, Batman and Superman have just not known each other long enough. Yeah. Like, that kind of bums me out about the movie too, a little bit. But as things start to like, this wind, like the climax is upon us. Doomsday is born because it was another contingency of Lex Luthor's part. He uses Zod's body to create a monster. Um, Superman is trying to fight him, but it seems like he can't. The government launches a nuke at them after he brings them into outer space, which it seems like another thing of answering criticism of Man of Steel. Like, why didn't they take Zod to space? So we're going to take Doomsday into space. (laughs) Uh, Superman takes a nuke to the face. Doomsday absorbs the, the blast and comes back to Earth. Wonder Woman gets off her flight. Batman tries to lure Doomsday into Gotham so he can kill him with the Kryptonite Spear. Superman is reborn in the rays of the sun. And then the Batplane is shot down. And it looks like he, Batman is done for. His Doomsday finally is about to kill him. But something deflects the, the, the laser version of Doomsday. And it's Wonder Woman. And my theater erupted into applause when her theme kicks in in that close-up. Oh, heck yeah. That was a very satisfying moment. 
yeah, I mean, like, it, like you could have had that Sama mood throughout the entire movie, but that is, like, an F yeah moment right there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people said that was, like, their favorite part of the whole movie. <laughs> I, and, I, like, see, like, how, how much that she kicks ass this entire movie, and she's so... Even to the point where, like, Superman and Batman are like, all right, we're together, we're going to have to stop Doomsday. And, like, is she with you? I thought she was with you. And she's so domineering in that moment. She's like, I'll, I'll kill him without you guys. Like, I can't do yeah. this. I don't need you. <laughs> You're just there at this point. And, like, that she's so confident. She's dead center frame and that, that the shot of the Trinity together. I know. It made me so happy. You know, what's funny, though, is uh, I've had some friends say also that they're like, they just threw her in there for no reason. I'm like, no, like if you understood, you know, she she is just as important as they are. I mean, she is the third part of that trinity and she's on equal footing. And it kind of makes me sad that people haven't gotten to see that before. Yeah, and it, it, it's like like I feel like it's people just going looking for negative things, but they try and stop Superman. I mean, wow, well, they try to stop Doomsday, <laughs> um, and they realize not yet. That's another movie. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm thinking ahead right now. We'll get to that eventually. That's gonna be uh, that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> and but Clark realizes that he's the only one who's able to stop him, and I love the moment when they try to. Clark tries to use his feet vision against Doomsday and it just does not work and he and Doomsday overpowers him. But despite everything and how Wonder Woman using her lasso, uh, Batman uses his grenade launcher, uses the last kryptonite grenade. And I love that one beat where Lois is, retrieves the spear for Superman because he can't really grab it underwater that's been sinking into the uh, harbor nearby. And he says, this is my world. You're my world. Like, that that beat right there and that how the music swells, like, that gets me every time. Yeah, it's a very touching moment. And so Superman flies off and kills Doomsday, but he sacrifices himself because Lois, I mean, not Lois, Wonder Woman loses the grip on her lasso. And that's how Doomsday is able to puncture Superman and killing him. And so both Batman and Wonder Woman feel responsible for Superman's death. Which is really rough. That's a real rough way to end a movie. And I did not expect them to kill <laughs> Superman in this. Oh, you didn't? No, I, I, I'm, like, I'm like, no. Sure, Doomsday is going to be this. But they're not going to do it. It's too early. I, I figured they would because, because in the comics he dies. And I feel like, I guess I just thought that that became a part of his character. Where like, he's got to die. And there's, they're making all these, like, Jesus analogies, and it's like, I just figured he had to die. I felt like, no, they're not ballsy enough to do that. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit, they really did it. They did it. Yeah, and so the movie ends with twin funerals. We have, we have footage of the other Justice League members, including Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg. We need to find the others in order to, because... Luther has been talking to something, and it seems like he is coming. We're alluding to uh, Doom, um, Dark Side, and the movie ends with the dirt that was fl- that was thrown on the coffin suddenly floats. And this is when, like, to make matters even worse, that Clark was going to propose to Lois, which just makes it even harder on people. And so I'll ask your feelings on how this movie wraps up and all the lingering threads that are set up and solved here. 
Mm, I thought it ended pretty strong. I, I was fine with it. Um, you know, there wasn't any doubt in my mind that the next installment was going to be his resurrection. Um, but I felt like it wrapped up all the little hints that they were dropping throughout the movie pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I liked it. Um, I liked everything it was setting up. I, I love the scene with Luthor with the head shaving thing. And he's finally looking like this is what I was saying earlier, like his metamorphosis into who he's going to be. And he, you just get the feeling that he's going to be a more controlled villain, even though he has that like ding, ding, ding moment. I, I kind of thought, I feel like they're making him seem crazy, but he's not. He just knows something they don't. And um, I, I guess I did find the throwaway line with him and Wonder Woman where he's like, where they're talking about having to get the team together. That part seemed a little corny. I think I was still struggling with the idea of Batman putting the Justice League together. That just kind of, I don't know. It's like I, I had a hard time believing that. Um, but overall I liked, I liked the ending. The funeral was touching. Um, and I was excited when I saw the, the dirt rise. Nice. I mean, yeah, it's traditionally Superman would, would bring the league together and everything like that. But, um, I, I think the fact that we have amazing grace played at the funeral, I mean, like Amazing Grace on bagpipes is something that's like, I think it's one of the most beautiful sounds of the world. I mean, like, the, I, I even joked, like, yeah, when I die, like, that's like the one thing I want. Like, I might be cremated, but I want somebody playing bagpipes, Amazing Grace. Like, that's a thing I, I am putting down and writing right now. Um, but the idea of the slow motion of, like, the military funeral that's going on in Washington, and then we see people in. Uh, Metropolis and warning. But I mean, I love that little speech that we see like Batman saying that like, men are still good. We hope, uh, I mean, like we, we do all these nasty things to each other. And it's obviously more, much more eloquent than this. And, but like, and even sums up with the fact that like, if you, if you seek his mind, you may look all around you. Like, I think that's a really touching um, addition to this. And I know the problematic line of like, a hundred years ago, I walked away from humanity. Like, well, we have two movies saying that you kind of didn't walk away from humanity, but whatever. Somebody's going to get really hung up about that. Eh, I wasn't worried about it. Yeah, it's comics and it's comic movies. Like, retcons happen. I, I'm not going to. I'm not losing sleep over it. And I mean, you could always make an argument that whatever made her walk away happened later. Yeah. Or maybe she meant I walked away as in I'm not going to directly try to interfere with a um, direction of a war anymore. Or, you know, I just feel like there's different ways you could look at it. Yeah. I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you either. Pretty much. Yeah. And so movie ends and a um, few questions that before we wrap up. Like, do you think this movie deserves the controversy it has received in the past two years? I think that uh, I think people are a little melodramatic when it comes to not getting all the answers that they want right away. Personally, I think that uh, I, I don't know why you can't just let something be its own thing and go, OK, this is one interpretation. Um, I think it's strange when people get upset about something being rebooted or changed and they're like, well, they ruined my childhood. They've ruined everything. And it's like, 
that other thing that you love didn't go away. It's still there. Like, this is just a different take. Like, and I have a problem when um, I feel like no risks are taken or I, I feel like there are no stakes in a movie. And I felt like the stakes were pretty high in this one. And I, I could recognize there were some risks taken. Did they all land? Maybe not, but I'm glad that they tried. And so I respect it for that. And I, I just, yeah, I do. I do feel like it's a little unfairly judged. I, I mean, on the one hand, I guess I'm sort of contradicting myself and saying that because they ha- took some risks, that's a risk and some people may not like it. Um, but I also just wish people could ease up a little bit on some of that. But clearly I'm wrong. <laughs> and overall it, it is better to make a sure bet. And I think DC has decided that from here on out. Yeah. Which is something going back to a conversation we had earlier in the day, because another reason why I felt this viewing of it was so weird, because like I had said to you, I was literally like, I finally picked up most of the MCU on Blu-ray. So I was marathoning most of them and there is a clear structure. There is definitely a three act structure with all of them. And this, BVS does not follow a three-act structure. It's kind of like follows a like a five-act revenge tragedy in the form of a play, mm-hmm. and so, and since I'm actually in the writing of my first feature film, and structure is a very big thing for me, and so I'm like, all right, where does Act One end? When does Act Two begin? Where's the midpoint here? And something I've been kind of training myself to see, and it's very clear in all the Marvel movies, and it's not really clear here. And the same thing with with Man of Steel. But you think of Wonder Woman, that is definitely a three-act structure. You know when Act 1 ends, it's when Diana leaves Themyscira. Act 3 begins when she reaches the uh, uh, airstrip and everything like that. And so and I feel like it's a little more traditional, and I feel like that's what they're going to go with with Aquaman and Shazam and Wonder Woman 2. I feel like that would just be a little more digestible to general audiences when it comes to story flow and everything like that because we've we've mentioned like even in this movie that we enjoy that there are some things that could have been nipped and tucked and cleaned up a little bit no completely i mean regard me wanting those risks to be taken and me liking that kind of stuff i want the whole franchise to move forward so whatever they need to adjust to make that happen i'm pretty much on board with at this point yeah and my feelings are like, yes, does it deserve a hate it gets? No, I still enjoyed the movie because it took risks. And we got to see a version of Batman and Superman and these characters we'd never seen before. That's a cool thing. And that's something that we can say, like, we've got it. People say, we never have to do it again. Okay, fine. Does it suck? Like, all the potential that could have came out of it? Yes. But I'm not losing sleep over it. I have thousands of comics I could read. I have plenty of video games to play. And other characters to enjoy when it comes to stories and everything like that. This will not become the defining thing for me when it comes to Batman and Superman. I agree. <sighs> okay. <laughs> well, I think that we, this is a good place to wrap it up. So, Lisa, first off, I want to say thank you for taking time every night to talk about Batman v Superman. Of course. Anytime. All right, thank you. And where can people find you on social media and your podcast if they want to uh, listen more about your things and other and topics on other movies? Uh, I you can find me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay, 
And I'm also on Instagram under AYA, and as a Nancy, A-M-I, Lisa. And I do have a podcast. It's called I Love That Movie. Basically, I have guests come on, and we just talk about a movie that they love. And, Tim, you've done a few episodes, um, so always love having you on there so they can pick out your couple of episodes if they want. You did um, – what were the two movies? You've done a couple movies, right? Let's uh, see. Prisoners. Did, uh, Prisoners. That's right. Duel. Yep. Yeah. And that, was that was that it? I think that's it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, maybe we've just recorded together so many times. I just that's probably <laughs> made it. an assumption. Yeah. But yeah, check out those episodes. They're really, really good. And um, we also have a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. It's just where we all chat about movies, and you're in there too. So. You know, we love having uh, people come in there and just discuss whatever favorite movie they want to talk about. We just make sure to try to stay positive. Um, and, yeah, that's pretty much it. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. And it has, like, one of the most addicting intro themes to any podcast. Oh. I, I really <laughs> dig it. I really dig that intro theme. And I'm just like, I love that music. Like, the intro and outro, like, f- full disclosure. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I commissioned that. And I, I told the guy I was, I think, I think it was like right around the time that the first Stranger Things season had come out. And I said, can you kind of imbue sort of like, you know, a, an 80s, that kind of vibe, so, some sort of John Carpenter influence. And then that's kind of what he came up with. And so, like I said before, I'm a huge fan of synth wave music and the synthesizers in general. So that's why I was like, that's why I was like, oh, my ears immediately perk up as soon as that starts. Nice. Well, thank you. No problem. And if people want to follow me and, and hear my bandings on uh, comic book movies and such and <laughs> just pop culture in general, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2, my Instagram at TRooney1012, my YouTube channel, Through the Lens Productions, uh, where I do all my short films and my videos on movies and like vlogs and stuff like that go up. I started a new franchise or a little series called Back to the Bat. My first episode is on Leather Wings. I have a new episode coming out soon. It'll be about Darren Cook's Batman Ego, and I'm going to talk about that story. And if you want to help support the show, give us a five-star written review on iTunes. And if you want to listen to previous episodes, you can do it on iTunes and on SoundCloud.com. And I'm pretty sure we're on Stitcher as well. Maybe Google Play. I'm not 100% sure. But, again... Lisa, I know we went long, but thank you again. No worries. Thank you again for taking time at night to talk about Batman v Superman, the Dawn of Justice, the ultimate cut. Thank you. No problem. All right, come back next time as we continue to talk about geek and pop culture, and we'll speak to you soon.